history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew, and I'm back today for part two with the survivor, Ash. Thank you so much for coming back and doing a second episode. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Now, when we last left off... Um, you were talking about running down the street, something about his cousin. I, I was trying to remember it. I should have wrote it down. I apologize. That's okay. I was just pointing out some of the issues we had in the neighborhood in that house and just, just illustrating the point that I didn't have any support. Um, you know, I didn't have a community around me. I didn't have family uh, the friends I thought I had, it turned out, were were not my friends, um, and our neighbors were dangerous. And what I was explaining was the one neighbor that lived two doors down from us had chased Jay, my kid's stepmom, her two teenage cousins. She had chased them down the street into my house, tried to fight me in my front door. You know, police were called, and that was the kind of stuff I was living with every day. That's why I wanted to move us out of there. Um but yeah, I was just given the example of like, it wasn't just what was going on in my home. It was what was going on around my home. And there was just nowhere for me to turn to. There was no one for me to go to. So yeah, that was just what I was trying to illustrate with that example. And I appreciate that last episode, you were kind of laying the groundwork to what, uh, what, what would happen next. So yeah. much like last episode, you have the floor. Go ahead. So one of the last things I mentioned in that episode was also about consulting a CAS worker, the CAS worker I had, about putting a lock on the bedroom door for safety reasons, because the house is falling apart, we got wildlife in the house, we've got a kid who's a runner, we've got a kid that's escaping at 2 o'clock in the morning because she thinks it's funny. Um, and I, again, no support, no help, doing this by myself, asking CAS for support, not getting it. Like for six straight months, the only response I got out of CAS was the only help they would offer me is I could put my kids into voluntary foster care. And obviously no parent wants to do that. We all know that's a trap. So I asked her about the lock and I explained to her, this is only because a pipe has now burst in the new place. I have to wait to move. Um, and I haven't gotten any sleep because my daughter's escaping. Um, I've put screws in the windows so she can't crawl out the window. Can, if I do this, am I putting myself at risk of apprehension? Am I putting myself at risk of, uh, is this a crime? Basically is what I was asking her. And her response to me had been, this was Karen. Her response to me had been that it was not advised. It was not something that the society would advise, uh, but that I was not doing anything illegal is what she told me. And I, of course, countered this with, but you guys allow this in foster homes. Like, you guys allow locks on bedroom doors, locks on fridges, locks on cabinets in foster homes long-term. I'm asking you for a short-term solution to a very big problem because you guys have not helped me move into a shelter like I've been asking you for six months. 
and she just reiterated I wasn't doing anything illegal, um, but that it was not advised. Obviously, it's not something the society is going to say that um, they approve of with a bio parent. So I had just said, but like, I'm not risking you showing up and taking my kids or anything. And she's like, no, you'd have to explain yourself. And again, I'm not agreeing with your decision, but you're not doing anything illegal. So because she kept stating I wasn't doing anything illegal, um, I felt it was worth the risk to get a little sleep and to get us out of this house. Right. And I explained to my children why I was doing this, that it was only at night, that it was just so that everybody could sleep. Um, and then that way, you know, if my child was awake and restless, she wasn't outside. So <clears throat> that was about a week, maybe, before Christmas of 2018. Now we're over Christmas break of 2018, and this is where the shit hits the fan. This is where everything comes to a head. So we're going to go back for a minute, because in the last episode, I mentioned that my ex-husband received variants, but I never explained this. Okay. And this is important before I go on. So he was arrested in July. He was put on bail conditions. And those bail conditions included that he was not to be within 100 meters of where me or the children lived, worked, or went to school. Or were known to be, basically. He wasn't even supposed to be in the city of Hamilton. In November of 2018, while he was still waiting to go through court and go through the motions, um, he was on bail. He requested a variance from the court so that he could be allowed to start access visits with his kids. Oh, excuse me. Um, got gas stuck there. Um, so they could have visits with our kids through the CAS. And so he was granted a variance for supervised access mm -hmm. at the discretion of the Children's Aid Society. That's very important that this document said supervised access at the discretion of the Children's Aid Society and CAS would twist this to their advantage. So that variance listed which numbered points in the bail order that it applied to. So anybody who's listening, they know anything about bail orders in Canada, surety orders, I guess we call them a surety. Um, you know that if you get a variance for that, it's only the points that are listed in the variance that it applies to everything else in your in your surety or your bail order still stands you still have to abide by that the point that he was not to be within a hundred meters of mine and my children's workplaces schools or homes was not included in this variance and that's very important because on december 26th um is when everything hit the fan. Now, a couple days prior to that, my kids had visited their father and his family for Christmas. I had, CIS and I had agreed to this because the whole family was going to be there. He wasn't going to be alone with them in any capacity. Um, to be clear, I didn't want to do this, but CIS very much made me feel like I didn't have choice. And they were arguing like, well, he hasn't seen his kids since he was arrested. And it was like, yeah, because he was arrested for domestic violence. That's why he hasn't seen his kids. Um, but I was being manipulated by his family the whole time in between the arrest and this. They were like, oh, can't you can't you just like, you know, we're not asking you to lie. But can you can you like put in a good word for him as a father and stuff so that he doesn't get jail time? And I stupidly went along with this. So he gets his variance. We come to the morning of December 26th, a couple days after the first time he's seen our children since July. And also a couple of weeks after he had actually broken his bail order and reached out to me 
Um, and this, he has never explained to me, and I have questioned him on this, because he broke his bail order to contact me and tell me, I don't know what the hell is going on over there, but mom and dad are up to some shady shit with CAS, so be careful. Because he didn't want our kids winding up with his parents. So the morning of December 26th, day after Christmas, right? Um, let me just set the scene for y'all, okay? I was five days away from moving out of this house. We call this the hell house now when we talk about it because of how bad it was. So at this point, my heat's not working. Live, live wildlife animals breaking in my house every night. Um, I have been told by CAS that I am to get rid of everything my children and I own and start over. When I got this house, it was four kids, three adults, and like six animals. So you can imagine how much possessions came along with that. And when MC and Jay walked out, they left me to deal with all of it, all of their stuff, everything. So I was in this position where even though the landlord and I were at odds, I was still trying to get rid of everything. I didn't want to leave everything in the house. I ended up having to do that anyways. But on the morning of December 26th, what I had was totes all lined up in my downstairs, through my hallway, through my living room that were filled with various items of clothes, snow pants, because again, I have four kids, right? Um, I haven't thrown out any of their baby clothes yet. Like I've given some away to people here and there, but because we weren't sure if we were done having kids yet, we had it. All of that had been yanked out of storage and was lined down these hallways. These totes weren't closed. They were open, right? Um, my back room, my backward laundry room was filled with laundry because I was, again, having issues with heat. I was having issues with water. I had fallen behind on it. They were telling me I couldn't bring the clothes anyways. So at this point, I'm five days away. It's Christmas. I need a friggin' break. I have given up at this point. The kids and I, because of the house, because of water coming through the ceilings, because of the animals, the kids and I were pretty much trapped in my bedroom in the attic, which was also a disaster, and their bedroom, the only bedroom that was still in any way safe on the second floor. And like they had toys and stuff, but they like they no longer had beds, their furniture and all that. It had been trashed because we dealt with bed bugs at one point. We got dealt with cockroaches at one point. And I wasn't going to go out and buy brand new furniture to bring it into this house. That was just stupid. I'm not throwing money away like that. Um, so just so we're clear, like my house was not in a good state. And I've never, ever tried to say otherwise. And I have been very blunt with the fact of like, I tried. I, I have photos of me cleaning that house from top to bottom and then my two oldest children waking up in the middle of the night and dumping the entire contents of my fridge from my back door to my front door. Mm. And so at this point, I just wanted us out. I wanted a fresh start. I wanted to start over from ground zero. The kids had already been told, you know, you're starting over. You are get you're going to still have toys and that like, but you are going back down to the bare minimum. You guys have too much stuff and you don't know how to take care of it. And I'm not fully blaming that on them. Us adults didn't set the best example. I'm not denying that. But I was in this situation because other people weren't doing their jobs. Because, again, I have photos and videos from that, like, six-month period after his arrest where I was keeping my house clean, where I was keeping my house in order by myself. I was not the problem. So now, so we understand that morning this isn't obviously like no one's walking into the best environment here and i'm not denying that but cas was aware they had already seen my home like this 
on and off. They had already seen that it had reached this point in December because they were telling me that they didn't want me to pack anything. Excuse me. They didn't want me to pack anything. They didn't want me to take anything. Originally, the city of Hamilton was taking anything I'd put out for trash because of the issues I'd had with my landlord. They had it out with my landlord and they wouldn't take the extra garbage anymore. So now I was stuck with the possessions that I was supposed to throw out in the house because I didn't have, like I said, no support system. I didn't have anybody to take me to the dump and I did not have $600 lying around to hire a junk removal service. So now that we have that part of the way, sorry. <laughs> um, I just want to make that clear because like people do get judgmental and I don't really care. Go ahead and be judgmental. But the fact of the matter is, let's just say that I had been doing something wrong. Let's just say that I didn't have all these other problems and my house was like that because I was negligent. Let's just pretend for a moment that that was reality. You can fix that. You can educate that. You can take that parent and work with them so that they make better choices. You cannot do that with people who have sexually assaulted children like my ex-husband. You cannot do that with a violent domestic abuser like my ex-husband. What I had going on could be corrected. What I had going on could be educated on, could be, you know, resources. Some uh, A family home visitor even maybe would have made all the difference, right? Because CAS has that as part of their programming. But I didn't have any of that. I didn't get offered those resources. I was left to my own devices and ignored. And so I figured it out on my own. And... So the morning of December 26th, I've decided I'm not, I am not running around and like cleaning this whole house from top to bottom. I am enjoying Christmas with my kids today. You know, we'll hang out in their room. We'll picnic on the floor. We'll play with their, the Christmas toys that they did get. And I'll explain to them what's happening this week. Well, <clears throat> the kids and I didn't usually get up until like nine when they weren't in school. So it's like nine o'clock in the morning. When this goes down, I want to make that clear. It was not like this was the middle of the day. This was the beginning of the day. This was first thing in the morning. I got up before the kids. So I'm on the phone with a couple of people and I'm trying to coordinate who's going to help me move on the 31st. This is the 26th, remember? So we're trying to figure out who's moving, like who's moving what, who has the truck, who's driving, do I need to get a U-Haul? This is what I was dealing with that morning while I could hear my kids playing in the room below me. The lock wasn't on, okay? As soon as I got up in the morning and I went down to the bathroom, I took it off. Now I'm awake. You are free to come out as you please. I know where you are. I know you're not getting out the front door, right? The issue was if I was unconscious and the only adult in the house, there was nothing between her and the street. So... I pull it off, I poke my head in, they're fine. I say to them, I'm just on the phone, you know, like go to the bathroom again, I'll be back. So they close the door. Now, when they close the door, it doesn't lock or anything because like this was the thing I left it. This was a padlock, okay? I know, I know, terrible decision. In hindsight, horrible decision. It was the only lock I could find. Like I went to four stores, it was the only lock I could find at the time. Um, and again, desperate situation, desperate measure. I would never normally do this. I am not somebody that had like their cupboards and stuff locked like that. This was not something I did. This is not something I would have ever considered doing. It was just the circumstances I was in. So I start hearing banging and I think the kids must be kicking the wall. And I say to the guys on the phone, okay, I'm going to go. We'll pick this back up after, 
everybody eats and everybody's off doing their own thing. So now I'm headed down my stairs. The banging's not coming from the kids' room, and the banging has stopped, and I'm aware that I hear footsteps in my main floor. So the way that this was is when I came down from the third floor, which was like the attic, right? I had like a pitched roof kind of ceiling. That was my room. Um, I came down the stairs and right in front of me at the base of the stairs is my, the bedroom door of the room my girls are in. The room next to them, nobody was in anymore. It was empty. It had some toys on the floor. Then there was a bathroom. Then there was another bedroom. It's just got toys in it. It had chocolate ice cream smeared on the wall because they stole it out of the freezer which the police and CAS told the courts was feces. It was chocolate. I told them it was chocolate. I showed them the empty Briars ice cream container. My daughter even said, yeah, I had my hands in that because that's how it wound up on the wall. All the official documentation says it's poop. Nobody tested it. Nobody took a sample of that to confirm or deny whether that was chocolate. How can you sit there and officially label it and, like, that sounds pretty bad. There's a big difference between there's poop smeared on your wall that you haven't cleaned up yet and there's chocolate ice cream smeared on your wall from the day before because it was Christmas. There's a massive difference between those two things. So then next to that bedroom was my son's room, the only room that was still intact because he was a baby and, like, nothing really went wrong in that room. And he was in his crib. So I am come down these stairs. I'm looking at their door. They've closed it. It's not locked. It's just closed. The padlock was hanging in the outer part of the lock. Like, you know how it's on the part of the door that moves um, your uh, hallway? So it was hanging on the thing in the hallway. Again, and I'm going to say this 50 million times. This is not something I would do again. This is not something I would do under normal circumstances. This is not something I would re- recommend anyone else doing. I am not excusing the fact that no, this was not the smartest thing to do. I, again, desperate situation, consulted the worker, thought I was okay because it was just a few days and it was only overnight. The police are coming up my main floor stairs. They are in my house when I come down from the loft. What I was told, now this is where I uh, pay attention because following along these details is gonna be a little difficult. So remember I said I put screws in the window, mm-hmm. in all my windows, yep. so you couldn't open them, all right? Because somebody had been breaking into my house. We had attempted to report this to the police before. Nothing could be done, because they're like, well, if you don't have a description, if you don't catch them, if we don't catch them, we can't do anything about it. So, you know, typical response. <clears throat> the police are in my house, and I'm like, how the hell are you in my house? because my doors should be locked and the bars should be under the doorknobs, right? They tell me my back door was wide open. My back door was open. Wow. Not just unlocked. They told me my back door was completely open. I have OCD. I check my doors before I go and leave my main floor at night, whether it's I'm going to bed, or whether it's I'm just moving upstairs and hanging out up there with my husband, those doors are checked before I leave this floor. I'm here alone and I need to go upstairs. My doors are checked before I go up those stairs. It's a habit I still have even now, years later. So, and at the time I'm dealing with someone's breaking into my house, of course I am making sure my doors are shut. 
So when they told me the back door was open, I said to them, it shouldn't be. It it, it absolutely should not be open. That door was shut. Um, and like I had told them, you know, that, that door was shut earlier because at one point I had been downstairs and had grabbed yogurt tubes or something for my kids. Like they, like that was like the first time when I checked on them and before I was on the phone, I threw them something small, collected the garbage, took it away and left them to play. Um, telling them we'll eat like a bigger breakfast. We'll have brunch when I'm done what I'm doing. So the police come up the stairs. Um, they have already seen that the house is in a fucking state, right? There's totes of stuff just everywhere. They have no idea what the hell's going on. They start asking me. I start explaining. I'm moving. CIS told me I can't keep everything with anything. Take, can't take anything with me. I was in the middle of packing them. When I found that out, I just left it. I've been trying to throw it out, but now the city's not taking the garbage. Like, I was just getting screwed at every turn. Everything I was trying to do was failing. So they look around. They see the lock on the kid's door. I explained to them I've discussed it with my CAS worker, and they say to me, that's fine, but we still have to call CAS. I immediately pull out my phone and call my paralegal that is helping me with the landlord and represented me at uh, the landlord-tenant court. And I tell him, I need you to get down here right now and explain to him, the police are in my house. I don't know how they got inside. They say my door was open. Um, to my knowledge, it was not open, but I'm giving them, like, the benefit of the doubt because, uh, you know, it's not like I heard anybody kick it in. Apparently, the banging I was hearing, though, was them banging on my front door initially and then they went around and they found the back open so they entered the house thinking something was wrong this is what i was told the reason that they were there though i have not told you yet back to those screws in the window remember i told you in the last episode they were like four inches long Mm -hmm. okay these had to be put in the windowsill with a drill yeah so what i'm about to tell you next does not make any damn sense the screws in that bedroom window were gone on the morning of December 26th. The police and I looked. They were not on the floor. They were not in the vent. They were not on my roof. They were not on my back porch. They were not in my backyard. The reason that the police were at my house is that those screws were missing, and my evil Knievel child crawled out onto the roof to retrieve her fingerling that she had managed to squeeze out of the window after we had put the screws in. So we had told her, well, like, it's gone now. It had been out there for months, okay? This thing no longer worked when she retrieved it because it had been rained on. So when she realized that she could open the window again, she crawled out and got her toy. What I was told was that one of my neighbors witnessed this and witnessed my other kids close the window and then open it back up to let her inside. So because they witnessed this, they called police. I'm not faulting the neighbor for doing that. I want to make that perfectly clear. I would be a really crappy advocate for child protection in any way or reform if I didn't think, oh, excuse me, that as a bystander, that was the right call to make. It was. Um, I would have done the same thing. So the police showed up, and I'm trying to explain to the police and to CAS. There should be screws in that window. My door should not be wide open. Somebody clearly was in my house. Somebody clearly, like, fucked around with that window. And the thing was, is I couldn't tell them whether it had been the night before 
or Christmas night before that because I had not seen the screws since December 24th. But I hadn't looked too hard at the window on Christmas night. Now, they never investigated if someone had been in the house. They, they it, it got swept under the rug. In all of the documents where everybody is mentioning, nobody is actually talking about the fact that I was adamantly telling them, someone's been breaking into my house. <clears throat> you know this already. If you've shown up here and my back door is open and these screws are missing from only that window, we checked. The rest were all there. Well, at this point, the only thought I had was it had to have been dead. Like, at, and I thought that for months because my kids would be telling me that there was a monster outside their windows. And then one day, one of the kids, I think it was my oldest daughter, told me, Daddy's the monster. It's Daddy I'm seeing outside my window. And I told CAS this, and I told the police this, and everybody told me that my kids just must be dreaming. They weren't asleep when this was happening. I wasn't asleep when this was happening. And just nobody heard us. And so then we came to this day and, you know, the police are like, we have to call them because of the state of the home. Like my, by now my paralegal shown up and he's explained to them, it is not her fault. And he has cited bylaws and stuff to them to prove to them. I only have so much control in this situation that the landlord holds the power and the landlord's not doing his job. I firmly believe that the conversation the police had with my paralegal is what made the police determine that there was no grounds to charge me with a crime. And those crimes would include child endangerment, child abuse, child neglect. Mm -hmm. I was not charged with any of these things because it was determined that there wasn't enough evidence of that because the, the circumstances that we were standing in in that moment were not my responsibility. It was my responsibility to try to deal with them and that's what I was doing and we proved it. We started pulling out documentation, we pulled out my phone, we pulled out the ruling from the landlord tenant board and I made it very clear to them and I told them, Google it yourself, there's been news, newspaper articles, we have no shelter space in this city or I would not be in this house. Like, this is the thing. I didn't want to be there. I did not want my children there. And I had no way to escape. And then once I got a way to escape, everything blew up. So as the police are talking to me, slowly officers start trickling out and leaving. Because when we started, we had about, I think, eight cops in my house. Um, eventually, it would be whittled down to just two women. Um, who I would end up finding out were actually mother and daughter. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so they call CAS. And a woman, I think her name was Lucinda. She's from After Hours CAS. She shows up. She has a social worker that attends with her as well, who works like part-time for CAS and part-time in the maternity ward at St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton. Her name is Sarah. I actually knew Sarah. And so when Sarah walked into my house and we got to look at each other, I knew I was in trouble because I had already had a bad experience with this woman when I gave birth to my first child. She was the she was the social worker that visited me in the hospital 
and actually even upset my nurses because while they were trying to do the heel prick on my daughter to get her blood, um, this woman was trying to speak to me and my screaming infant's father while we were holding her. While they're doing this, I'm clearly upset. I don't like needles, and I'm having to hold my child steady for what, and it was not a fun experience. Um, and she kept asking us questions that were just getting weirder and weirder, and even the nurses were starting to look at her funny. And then she ended up saying... I, to be clear, I don't know why she said this. I don't know what she said that prompted this, but it turned out to be foreshadowing. This is going to blow your fucking mind. This was in 2013. She goes, it sounds like you're afraid somebody's going to take your baby. The nurses kicked her out of my hospital room. She was not allowed back in because she upset me so badly. And no one understood why she said that. There was staff with us in the hospital room that did not understand why she said that to me. Wow. But it turned out to be foreshadowing. Okay. Keep going. I, I'm just uh, trying to fix something here. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So five years later, she's in my house, right? Um, and she looks at me and goes, Ash, what happened? I looked at her and I'm like, my ex-husband's been arrested for domestic assault. What do you think happened? Like, that's a pretty stupid question. So then I end up explaining to her and to Lucinda, and I was like, listen, my worker is aware that my house is like this. I'm moving in five days. I've been told I can't take any of this with me. I've been trying to throw it out. The city's not taking it. I have no storage in this house. The basement wasn't safe. I couldn't put it down there, or I would have. So they were like, well, they can't stay here, like the kids. And I said, I know. I've been telling your organization that for months now, that they shouldn't here that this isn't a fit environment and you've ignored me and now you're gonna walk in here five days before I move telling me it's not a fit environment I'm like that's fine we're in agreement on that can you please help me get into a shelter in a neighboring city for the next five days then they refused they refused so then at this point She's telling me they want to take the kids. Now my grandparents have shown up because I've told them, CAS let you take them for a placement before I'm giving them to you. So my grandmother shows up and then proceeds to tell me she can only take two of my kids and not all four. She should have kept it to herself because the moment she said that, they weren't letting her take any of them. So... They're refusing to put me in a shelter. Mm-hmm. They are refusing to help me find an alternative housing arrangement. Now my grandmother is being questioned on whether or not she can take them. And at first they were going to let her take two and see if we could find another family member to take my other two. And then my grandmother said, you know, it's Christmas. I just had family at my house yesterday. I have a spare room for the kids, but I need like two hours to go home and get all of the presents off the bed, put them away, get the wrapping paper out of the room, and then you guys can bring them over, take a look, and and it'll be fine. Well, Lucinda and Sarah respond to that with, sounds like you don't even want them. How does that sound like she doesn't want them? She just told you that, you know, it's the holidays, so she needs to run home and clear the Christmas crap out of her extra bedroom that she wanted two hours to make sure the room was up to CIS standards because this was short notice. And she gets, sounds like you don't even want them. 
as soon as she said that, I knew they weren't going to send them there. So now I'm scrambling around and I'm calling people because I know where this is going. I know exactly where this is going. Nobody has said it yet, but I know where it's going. So then as I'm waiting to hear back from some people, um, the worker, Lucinda, turns around and says that they're taking them and I can either voluntarily give them my children or they will go get an emergency order from a judge and come back with the police and take them. And I said, that's fine. You can do that. You can leave these two officers here with me. I won't go anywhere. You can go get me an order from a judge. Well, guess what? They refused. And they then spent the next four hours arguing with me back and forth on whether they should go get it from a judge or make me voluntarily give the kids to them. Four hours. My paralegal was upstairs with my kids, and this isn't his expertise in law, so he was helping me where he could, but I basically told him, keep them up there. They don't need to hear this, and he stayed up there with my kids. Unfortunately, that's going to turn out to be a whole other fucking problem in a moment. Um because so, I was apparently just surrounded by predators. Spoiler alert. Um, so four hours going back and forth. They refused to go get a court order. It got to the point that I was red-faced, spittle-flying, screaming at these two women across my living room. I had hit my breaking point. I was just completely out of... I wasn't actually... I can't say I was out of control I was loud, but I still had control. Like, I was keeping myself in one spot. I was trying to stay, like, at least not move, not throw anything, right? Not assault anybody. Um, because when these things happen, you, like, this this stuff is literal torture. This is psychological torture. This, that's all those four hours were. And um, the police officers were with me, the two, the mother and daughter through the whole thing. They're standing off to the left of me. And uh, I don't remember if it was Lucinda or Sarah turned to the police and said, are, are you going to do anything? Because I was screaming at them. And the officer looked at them and said, um, what? She's not coming towards you. She's not threatening you. She's not brandishing a weapon. She's not advancing on you whatsoever. As far as I'm concerned, she can scream herself hoarse. They were not going to shut me up. I, I honestly believe that these two police officers struggled with what they witnessed that day and understood that what they were witnessing was wrong. Because once I started to break and I started to consider um, letting them voluntarily take them because they were promising me that all four of them would go into the one in one foster home. They were promising me that I would have them home in two weeks, that it, they just wanted me to move into the new house and then they would come home. That's what I was being told. Move into the new house, buy their beds, and they'll come home. Let me stop you there. Sorry about that, guys. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties, but I'm still, I'm back here. I'm back with Ash. Uh, sorry for the interruption, Ash. Please continue. No, that's okay. Um, so, yeah, the police, these two police officers, um, once... CAS started to wear me down where I was considering trusting their word, which for anybody listening, don't do that. This was the biggest mistake I made through this entire thing. I know you had Ebony here a little while back and she said how she also volunteered for services and then 
had her life ripped apart. So I learned something um, through this experience and have had third party professionals tell me this. And when we're done, I'd like you and I to discuss this a little further on here uh, when I'm done with my story, because this is important for people to know, but I'm going to touch on it for a quick second here. Um, I have had professionals tell me point blank not to trust CAS. We're talking doctors, we're talking cops, we're talking mental health professionals, we're talking Catholic Family Services. Um, and they especially tell people do not volunteer for their services because volunteering for their services, CAS paints it as you were admitting you were doing something wrong and you needed their help. The only way to deal with them is to tell them you are not volunteering for their services and to force them to pursue a court order if, if they truly feel that your children require protection. And I never thought I was going to have to be that person that tells people not to um, seek out child services. I am that person. Well, I, I think I'm, I think a major part of that is like I was I was tell I was talking with uh, Ebony during our interview and was saying, yeah, technically they are governed. I guess there's somebody there. They're not paying attention. CES literally governs themselves. themselves. They're make, not governed by anybody. Well, I think technically there is someone there, but they don't, they let them, they give them, CES has all this free reign to do whatever they want. And, and I mean anything. They yeah. rip family parts. I, 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 was, I was saying this to Ebony. When you need them, they're never there. When you don't need them, you can't get rid of them. Yep. And this is what happened to me. And I've experienced that both as a child and as a parent. Me too. Yep, me too. I 100%, I hear you on that. I was, like I said, when we first started on the other episode, I was a kid that got left behind. I was a kid that didn't get help, that needed help. And then I was a parent that just needed some support to get out of the situation my kids and I were in and instead I was the one who's punished and I'm sure there's people at this point who've been listening who are like well this sounds like somebody who got the outcome they should have hold on stay with me because what I'm about to say next is where you realize this stuff is squirrely so to make a long story short those four hours ended with me agreeing to this two-week voluntary foster care placement under the pretext that my children were not supposed to be split up. Um, they made me put the kids in my in the car myself. I did not want to, but I was afraid one of my children would hurt them because my older two will kick you in the nose. Like, and I didn't want to risk somebody hurting my child because I wasn't there after. So I agreed and I put the kids in the car and I explained to them and I had told my kids exactly what these people had told me, that they were going to come home in two weeks and that they were going to come home into our new house and that everything would be fine. They waited until the vans pulled away to tell me that my four children were going to three different foster homes. God. And apparently, uh, if I remember correctly, they kept my oldest two together, if I'm remembering this correctly, and they split up my babies. My two youngest were alone. I'm sorry. 
most of us now know that's because they're going to try to adopt out your kids. My kid, my two youngest were young enough and they were definitely like what people call prime adoptable. They both were like blue eyed blonde. Like she's got curls though. Like it was, I knew as soon as they told me that they had lied to me about the foster home, I knew they'd lied to me about the whole thing. And they left and the police left and my family left. Um, Part of the reason I won't speak to my family now is they refuse to take responsibility for the um, consequences of their inaction and their poor decision making that day. Like they did not put the kids first um, and they won't take responsibility for that. They won't take responsibility for how their choices affected my outcome um, that day because, yeah, they could have taken them. They absolutely we, I, I now know I have now learned that. CAS couldn't have stopped me. I could have left with the kids. Um, but it wasn't a risk I wanted to take with the police there. It wasn't something I was aware of at the time. I absolutely had the right to force them to pursue the court order because they didn't have the right to apprehend my children. But I would not know that until months to years later. Um, it would end up being laid out for me by lawyers who said, you never had to give them your kids they lied to you they manipulated you they scared you into doing something that you did not have to do i they had no right to take them because the environment was not my fault because i had proof that that was not my fault they did not have a right but because they coerced me into the voluntary agreement they had a leg to stand on because they were able to go oh look see mom even admitted that she needs us no, I did that under duress. That shouldn't have been admissible. So 24 hours later is where the, the, the worst thing about this happens. Remember I mentioned that bail order and that variance. Mm -hmm. That's going to be important in a second. So my kids went to three different foster homes, and they spent the night of December 26, 2018, in foster care. The next day, I got a phone call from CAS telling me that my kids were en route to McMaster Children's Hospital, that they were going to be seen in, I don't remember the acronym for it, but they have a clinic in McMaster Children's Hospital where they send kids that are taken into care to be evaluated for abuse, neglect, malnourishment, etc. So, December 27th, 2018, I attend an appointment with my four kids and a doctor at MAC. By the end of that appointment, a couple of things had happened. The most important thing that happened was I watched this doctor tell multiple CAS workers and my infant son's one-time foster mother that my children had no signs of abuse, no signs of neglect, no signs of malnourishment. And they even tried to question the doctor because my oldest child is very thin just because she's built that way and because she had bruises up her legs from school, from playing. And the woman actually, like, the doctor turned and looked at them and was like, "There's not, this child's not malnourished, and those bruises look like your typical, this kid was playing with other kids. Like, there is no sign on these children that would indicate to me that this parent has abused her kids or that these children have suffered any form of, of physical abuse. This was said in front of me. Now, I want you to remember this because eventually CAS would take me to court. Because remember I said this was voluntary? It didn't stay voluntary. And I want you to know that when they eventually did take me to court, 
they never submitted the report from this doctor. They never submitted the report from this appointment. That was done 24 hours after my children left my house and somebody, a professional, determined they did not show signs of abuse or neglect. CAS deliberately never gave that to the judge. And my lawyer and I asked about it, and nobody responded to us. CAS never brought it. The judge never ordered it to be submitted. We were just ignored. But before it got to that point, so I see this report on the 20th. I see her say this on the 27th. I know that's going in writing. I am relieved. I am thinking, okay, this is going to be over in two weeks. I'm going to be fine. About 20 minutes later, that thought was shattered because... So we're getting the kids all bundled up. They're leaving. They're going back. I think they're going back to their foster homes. I'm with my youngest daughter and the worker that was with her. The worker's name was Doreen. I would also like to mention that we had another worker present that day named Emma, who would later on become my caseworker. And Emma's also going to be very important. But right now, Doreen, she's with my daughter, my youngest daughter, W., and we're trying to get her ready to go. And Doreen is trying to get me to sign these four pamphlets or packets for voluntary foster care. I read these over before I signed them. I made her make notes on them before I signed them because I had been taught that. Um, and I made sure that these were stating foster care and these were stating two weeks and then we would revisit the care plan. This is what I was told. I signed them. Her and I get in the elevator. We're headed down to the main floor. Her phone rings. It's a woman at CAS named Heather. I will never forget Heather's name. I will never forget Heather's voice because this woman... She calls Doreen and I hear her tell Doreen in the elevator that she's not taking my child back to foster care. And Doreen stops her and tells her I'm in the elevator with her right next to her and I can hear her. So Heather waits until I exit the elevator and Doreen's just looking at me like, I don't think she wanted to do that, but she had to. Um, because Doreen and I would have, uh, we would sometimes end up talking to each other later on as time went on. She'd be the one to answer my phone calls for things and she was uh, surprised to hear that my kids never came home. Um so, Doreen gets me to sign this. We're in the elevator. I hear Heather tell her that Willow's not going, W is not going back to the foster home. So, I step outside the hospital and I call my ex father in law because at this point he's got me thinking that he's like on my side and like he's going to help me. It was all an act. He gets on the phone and he can't help but gloat because I say, do you guys know anything? Because I just overheard they're not taking them back to the foster home and I don't know where they're going. And my ex-father-in-law says that's because they're on their way to my house where my ex-husband is living on surety for domestic assault that one of these children was involved in, that one of these children called 911 for and was the reason he was arrested. You're sending them there? 
I immediately say to him they can't do that because they had already confirmed on the 26th that the bail conditions meant that the kids couldn't be placed there. That's what Lucinda and Sarah had told me. Um, Lucinda and Sarah were not the ones making this decision, though. This was above them. And I tried to explain to Heather, you are making a mistake. Because once I was done with former father-in-law, I immediately called CAS and I asked to speak to this woman. Because he let me know it was this woman making the decision. When I got Heather on the phone, I had explained to her, you can't do that. I have the paperwork. He cannot be in the same place as them. CAS basically told me, we know what we're doing. And so I had to wait out Christmas break for the courts to open back up because I knew that this was wrong I knew that this was wrong and they kept arguing with me about it and then they would call me like a few days after that like before you know we're still in December and um the deal the thing was they were supposed to be helping me pay my rental deposit to move well once they put my kids in their grandparents house which was not a foster placement, that was a kinship placement. That's not what I signed papers for. Um, Once they were in a family home placement, CAS turned around and said they weren't going to help me pay that deposit and thus started a pattern that looks like CAS was deliberately trying to sabotage my housing so they didn't have to give my kids back. So I get in touch with um, what's called the Good Shepherd Family Center in downtown Hamilton, because we've been clients of theirs before. They know us. They know our family. They know my kids. They know me. And they agree to help me. And they communicate with CAS, and they make an agreement with CAS where basically they would cover it for the time being, but there was supposed to be a, like, there was an arrangement between them and CAS where they'd cover it, but CAS was supposed to give it back either through me or something, I don't know, I don't remember. Um, CAS never did do that, and it ended up causing a massive problem internally at the Good Shepherd because they took money from a pot from a different program in order to help me, and obviously that caused problems when that money was not replaced like had been promised, and CAS actually tried to say, well, we never promised that, we never would, and it was like, yeah, you probably wouldn't, but you did. And it was becoming increasingly clear to everyone that something was seriously wrong here. And they had even tried telling them, we know what the bail paperwork says, you can't have her kids there. And CAS was basically, anyone that challenged CAS on that on that choice was told, oh, we know what we're doing. You worry about your job, we'll worry about ours. Like, it was the most condescending crap to anyone that challenged them. Because I'd be there. CAS didn't know that, but people were making those phone calls asking me to stay in the room and putting it on speaker and telling me to be quiet so that I could watch this corruption play out firsthand because these were the same professionals telling me, don't trust them. Don't give them anything. Don't let them in your house. You know, you should have never volunteered for any of this. Like, they weren't blaming me for volunteering, but they were letting me know, hey, you should have never done that. You know, tell your friends, don't do that. You guys are just going to get yourselves hurt. They, they're not what they say they are. They're not what they were intended to be. You're setting your family up for trauma. Like, and this has been a message that I've been hearing for years. And like I said, we'll, we'll get into that more after. So now I'm waiting out Christmas break. They're in my in-laws house. Um, and it was just drama 
trying to get me visits with my kids, trying to get me phone calls. And then when CAS did give me schedules for those things, my ex-father-in-law just wouldn't answer his phone. And then there'd be an excuse. And this was always it. And nobody cared. They never got in trouble for that. They never got told that they shouldn't be doing that. They never got told that, hey, it's literally your responsibility to be facilitating the contact between mom and the kids. Um, so then they end up asking my ex's girlfriend to do it because my ex can't do it because of the bail. His parents don't want to. So she takes it over and she's my point of contact. And for a long while that was working out, but then she was being abused by his family as well. And, um, you know, we both kind of figured out that the nicer she was to me, the worse they treated her. She was giving me the bare minimum and then having his father tell her, you're being too nice to her. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not the one that assaulted our children. Your son is. I'm not the problem here. Like, too nice to who, sir? So, anyways, uh, Christmas break ends. I'm dealing with a bunch of assholes. I go to the Johnson Pinkett Courthouse. I take the bail with me. I take the variance with me. I speak to, over the course of a couple of weeks, I speak to two justices of the peace. I speak to the only two bail court officers that would have been present in those courtrooms because they were the only two employed. And those bail court officers confirmed for me that I was correct and that he couldn't live in the same house as my kids. And then the Hamilton police also confirmed that that bail meant he could not be living with my children. So CAS was informed of this, and CAS's response was, well, then I guess Matthew's just going to have to move out of his parents' house now. And I said, um, no, that's not how that works. You have to move the kids. Well, they refused, and they then doubled down on, we're not doing anything wrong, because... When I tried to get the bail order enforced, I ran into a problem. Because my ex was arrested, charged, and sentenced, ultimately, in Hamilton. His bail order was out of Hamilton. He was living in a different jurisdiction because his parents didn't live in Hamilton. So him and my kids were in his parents' house in a different jurisdiction. So Hamilton couldn't just drive out there and deal with it themselves. They had to contact the Halton police. Specifically, they had to contact the Milton police because that's where he was. And the Milton police department decided to say, well, this is CAS's fault, not dad's. We're not going to fucking arrest dad because CAS screwed up. They were told what his charges were for. They were told there was a history of child abuse. And Milton police still took the stance of this is CAS's fuck up. We're not punishing you for it. You can't make us. And they were right. I couldn't. So I spent the next through January and February, midway through February, um, continuously going back to courts, to police officers, calling various departments in the Halton region, which was above Milton for police and Halton region actually had me speak to their child abuses unit who confirmed that it was not um, in my children's best interest to be in a home with this violent offender and that the police in Milton should be acting on this. So they told me um, 
between the child abuses unit and Halton, the Hamilton police service and then victim services, because I was still connected to them because my ex was still awaiting to go, um, you know, before the courts, he was, he was still waiting for his actual court date. Um, I ended up being told that, uh, to take the bail paperwork, to take all the notes I now had, all the names I had from the people I spoke with, to take it with me to Milton, to go speak to the Milton police in person and show them the paperwork. They said, have them call us, have them call the courthouse. We'll explain. We sent you. We told you what to say. So on February 13th, uh, 2019, my grandfather and I drive through a snowstorm almost get run off the road more than once drove through that to go to Milton and go speak to the Milton police in person now there's something very important about this my grandfather is a retired Halton region police officer homicide specifically Um, but he also worked things like organized crime major crime Um, narcotics he did all sorts of stuff he had a very colorful career over about 33 years Um, he was really good undercover actually so good that his nickname was creepy (laughs) yeah he he told us many stories about his partners you know walking up to him thinking he's a homeless dude smelling a piss on the street he's getting you know pulled aside for whatever gets him in the car and then he uses his actual voice and they're like jesus fucking christ that's you under there like i grew up hearing these stories right um so i'm thinking you know this might help me right it did not something was really wrong um and i still to this day don't know what we walked into that police station and a whole lot of the people in this police station were actually former colleagues of his. These were people he knew. So again, we're thinking, okay, somebody's going to help me. And that's not what happened. Um, I ended up being called in the back, speaking to a man. I don't remember if he was a constable or a detective. I remember his last name was Henderson. And, um, you know, I talked to Henderson. I showed him the paperwork I had. He was very lovely to me at first. He was very, very friendly, very personable, and was like, you're absolutely right, miss. Um, They can't have your kids there. He's like, I'm going to give CIS a call and let them know that. He's like, obviously, I can't tell them to give your kids back to you. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to. I understand that you can't do that. But he was like, but what I can tell them is that this bail order stands and that they, they need to move your kids. So he disappears for like a half an hour. And um, when he came back, he was no longer friendly. He was no longer kind. He was no longer even-tempered. He lost his temper with me and started screaming at me that I was just out for my own gain and told me to get out of his office and took me back into the lobby, continuing to say these things to me, and I am bawling my eyes out. I am sobbing. I don't understand what changed. I don't understand what these people said to him. So, like, my grandfather's outside in the car, and I text him and say, I need you to come in here, please. I need your help. And while I'm waiting for him to come inside, I pull up my CAS worker's number. At this point in time, my CAS worker was now Emma. And I apologize. I left out a very interesting detail. On January 11th, 2019, I would find out two things. The first, that my worker, Karen, 
Remember her? Well, we had a meeting with her supervisor on January 5th, 2019, where I ended up getting Karen to admit to the phone conversation we had about the lock. Because at first, she was lying and telling CAS that we never had any such conversation. And eventually, I did get her to admit it. And she said, but I didn't tell you to put it on. I said, I didn't say you told me to put it on. I just needed you to confirm that the conversation happened because you're telling them it didn't. January 11th, I find out Karen's been terminated from the Children's Aid Society. Wow. Gee, I wonder why, though. The other thing I found out that day was that on that date, apparently, uh, CAS pulled some shady shit so remember I said how, like, they tried to stop giving me the last month's rent so I could move into that house? Like, they were supposed to help me with the rental deposit, and yes. then they screwed that around? Yes. I did end up getting into the new place. <clears throat> I did get help, and I got into the new place, and I started getting furniture and stuff for the kids. I'm doing what they told me I had to do. So why is it that two weeks turned into a month, turned into two months, turned into, well, we want four months, but anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. My worker now, come February, was Emma. One of the people that was present on December 27th was now my worker. I recognized her when I met her and said to her, oh, you were at the hospital that day. So Emma knew that a doctor had already stated that my children didn't show signs of abuse because she had been there. So I call her on the 13th from the police station. My grandfather's now walked inside. He's speaking to Henderson and someone at the desk, and he's trying to tell them, I don't understand why you're saying you won't help her. She's in the right. She's got the paperwork. Like, what the fuck did CAS say to you? Because whatever it was was bullshit. Like, I can hear him behind me. And I'm calling, and Emma picks up the phone. And um, Emma asks me where I am. And I say, I'm in a police station, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Because, like, I asked her, I said, are you the person that this officer just spoke to? And she says, no, I did not take a call from a police officer. Um, she's like, but... And then she asks me, she's like, are you yanking your voluntary um, participation with the society? Well, I had had a conversation with this officer, and I had already repeatedly told CAS since December that I would not be party to violating his bail order. So why was I now being asked this in February after I'd already said this repeatedly for a month and a half, right? So I say to her, only if you guys are going to keep violating his bail order, I'm not going to be party to a crime. And then she turns around and says to me, look, the only thing that I know is 45 minutes ago that the CAS opened a protection order on you in the courts. Excuse me? I'm in a police station trying to write your screw up. So you open a protection application on me based on what? And she goes, I don't know. I don't have any details yet. When I have them, I'll let you know. She actually was one of the more helpful people I dealt with at CAS. When I am talking about how horrible these people were, I don't include Emma. Because Emma, it doesn't appear, ever lied to me. It doesn't appear that Emma ever tried to screw me over. She never, you know, played games with me or with what I was saying. And um, she'd actually leave the society while dealing with my case. But we'll get to that. So 
she tells me they've opened a protection application on you. I don't know what for. Two days later, I was in court. They opened an emergency one. They claimed that I was in my ex-husband's driveway when I wasn't. Apparently, his father had told CAS that I was in his driveway. I had never been in his driveway. And, spoiler alert, four months later, my ex-father-in-law would admit to lying while we were in a CAS uh, group meeting, would admit to it under the guise of like, oh, I must have mixed you up with your sister. But members of my family were at this table with me when this happened and turned around and said, nobody else was in the vehicle. Because what we were doing was at the time, I was getting to pick my kids up for access visits, but I was he didn't want me near his house because of the bail order. But he'd have the kids live in the house. Like, are you serious? So I would get dropped off at an A&W at a gas station because this was in Milton. And anyone who lives in Milton knows exactly which gas station I'm talking about. And then my grandfather would drive the five minutes over to their house. So it's not like I was in walking distance of their house. Okay. I was nowhere near their neighborhood. He would pick my kids up, bring them back to the A&W, pick me up, and then we'd drive to Hamilton. So when he said that I had been in his driveway, I turned around and I challenged everybody and I said, I don't care what you have to do or what I have to do. I am on camera in that gas station because I would deliberately stand in front of the cameras the entire time I was in there so that if something like this ever happened, you would not be able to do this. And lo and behold, he would eventually retract his statement. But CAS would never correct it in the court record. They would never come into the court and go, oh, your honor, uh, such and such in this document needs to be corrected as we have now proven it's a false allegation. That never happened. That allegation is what they were able to take me to court on. And that allegation was false to begin with. At that point, that whole thing should have been thrown out. But it gets worse because they didn't take me to a court in Hamilton where the matter was, where the CAS agency that's involved is located. They took me to Milton. So on the morning of February 15th, I show up in a Milton court. I go to duty counsel. I show duty counsel the court paperwork I was served with like the day before and all of the paperwork that I have for the bail order because that's my biggest thing here. This lawyer took one look at the paperwork and said, hold on, you're from Hamilton? I said, yeah. She's like, that's where your kids are supposed to go, right? Like if they come back to you? Yeah. Is it Hamilton CAS running this case file? Yeah. She's like, well... I hate to break it to you, but they just, they just pulled a, like a, they just pulled a fast one on you. And I was like, what do you mean? And she explained to me that because they took me to the Milton court instead of the Hamilton court, that what would happen next was we were going to go in that courtroom. The judge was going to see that this is not their jurisdiction's matter and was going to have to order it sent to Hamilton. But in doing that, wherever the kids were, they would stay. And this is the day that I learned a family court order overrides a criminal order in Ontario, Canada. So you can have criminal orders that someone is a danger to you and your kids and should not be permitted near them. But family courts can override the criminal order. And that is what happened on February 15th. Because Duty counsel and I tried to explain to this judge what was happening and that I needed her to throw this out 
and force CAS to refile in the right jurisdiction. And we tried to show her the bail order. And her response to us was, I'm sure CAS knows what she what they're doing and ordered it back to Hamilton. And at that point, I was screwed. I no longer had the bail order to stand on because it no longer mattered, and which I think is wrong. Like, this, this was a violent offender. One of our children was involved in this. This should not have been allowed to happen. None of this should have been allowed to happen. So now... Um, his family, of course, is like, yeah, we won. Because what I would find out later is that the whole time CAS was telling me that reunification was the plan, they were telling my ex-husband's family that reunification was not the plan. They were presenting them, um, and they did the same thing with court. So they took pictures on December 26th in my house. But they never provided those pictures to the court or the kinship placement in color. They gave them black and white photos that was literally just black piles in my house, right? There was no detail. So you couldn't tell that, well, that's the dresser that sits in my hallway like an auntie table. Well, that's all totes of their clothes. Well, that's all totes of toys. Well, that's all totes of electronics. Like... They made it look like there was just piles of garbage around my house and like actual trash. Not that it was like personal items that were slated for the dump, right? Because these photos were in black and white, they looked like worse than they were. And I've now confirmed that this is what they did because my ex-husband has recently reached out to me and communicated with me and told me what CAS told his family and what CAS showed his family. CAS allegedly told his family that I had that lock on the door for months. And I said, well, if that was the case, then CAS was pretty negligent. Since they were in and out of my house. Don't you think like they're lying to you? They didn't want any of us talking to each other. And I know Ebony touched on this when she spoke to you. This is something her and I share. They, they did not want me talking to my kids' grandparents, they did not want my kids' grandparents talking to me. And my kids' grandfather told me that on more than one occasion um, because he would try to spin it as, like, I don't want them taking the kids from my house if I'm talking to you. Like, but he just didn't want to talk to me because he was interested in screwing me anyways. Like, the thing is, is the things I had done was bad enough. Putting the lock on in the first place was bad enough. Why do you have to embellish it? Why do you have to make it sound like, why do you have to say, oh, she had it on there for months. I had it on there for maybe five days. It was maybe five days. Like it wasn't even a week it, <laughs> when all that happened. And, and they apparently went around telling all of these people that, you know, were on my ex's side of the family that had covered up abuse and childhood sexual abuse and all these things. They were going to them saying, oh, uh, she had it on there for months and she wasn't feeding them. Um, a doctor determined that was a lie, but okay. So now we're going to court. And uh, now things just keep getting dramatic. Like, uh, just, just to give you some footnotes, because this is the stuff I'll really detail in the book. Um, they did a developmental assessment on my children in March of 2019 that I was not informed about, nor was I present for. Um, my ex-husband and his father took the kids. Um, they 
made it seem like my children came to them developmentally delayed. They claimed that my youngest two could not speak, um, that they had speech impediments. My son was born deaf and hasn't had his hearing tested again since he was like one years old. He needed tubes in his ears. He never got them. I told CAS and the kinship placement about appointments he had for his hearing. They never took him. So they were trying to say, well, he's speech delayed when he was actually half deaf. And I never got to prove that in court. I never got to prove that wrong, but we'll get to that. Because, yeah, spoiler alert, there's no fucking court order against me because they ended up withdrawing everything. But we will get to that. Um, Yeah, withdrew it, but I didn't get my kids, to clarify. So that was one thing they did this developmental assessment in march never told me about it didn't have me present for it and they submit the report to court and this report says that my youngest two children were speech delayed so i already explained my son to you the other is my daughter w this would be the child that my ex-husband shook when she was eight months old she had just been really coming into talking when he did that when she was eight months old she then was selectively mute for the better part of the next year she didn't speak to anybody but me She didn't even want to talk to her dad. She wouldn't cry. She wouldn't react in front of people. And I fought and fought and fought to try to get her seen by a doctor because I knew what I was watching was selective mutism. Because if I was around, she'd talk. She'd talk to me about everything. So Emma, at one point when she's my worker, sees that my daughter actually talks. So does the worker that came in after her. That was Michelle. Like, she came in months later. I remember the one day my daughter's reading a book to her, and Michelle looks at me and goes, yeah, real speech delayed, eh? And I was like, yeah, no, she's not speech delayed. She's just mute if she doesn't trust you. Because she was, like, three, two, two, almost three at the time that this happened. Like, she was little. And then, so, like, they were also saying that my son, who was now almost um, two years old at this point, couldn't feed himself with a spoon and I went well that's funny because he could feed himself with a spoon when he left my house so like what did you do and they blamed all of these things on me Mm -hmm. the kids had not been in my care for three months how could that possibly be me and the whole time that they're doing that I'm seeing my kids at the CAS access center where the access center staff is telling me that they're going to be putting in a report that they don't see any issues, that they don't think I need to be supervised, that they haven't seen a single problem with me, that I've done everything perfect in their eyes. And yet CAS continued to hold me under supervision in my own house for another year after their own resources told them I didn't need it. And like, I had to, because they, they took my money, that was the thing on January 11th, sorry, that I meant to say. So not only was Karen terminated, but the CAS illegally took away my child tax benefit and my Ontario Works benefits for my kids. And this is very important, and everyone in Ontario, you need to know this. You can Google the Ontario Works directives. These are the laws that govern Ontario works and social assistance programs in general, I guess, Um, at least whatever's connected to this particular legislation. And so I think it's, I want to say it's section 3.9, dependent children. For those of us on Ontario works, if you enter into a voluntary arrangement with the CAS, 
which in January, my stuff was still voluntary. We had not gone to port yet. If you are in a voluntary arrangement with CAS, CAS is not to touch your benefits until a decision of permanency is made. And it states right in the legislation that the, um, what's the word? Uh, I'll just use reason, but it's a similar word. So the reason behind that is because they recognize, this is stated right in the legislation, that they recognize that a parent who is working with CAS cannot keep their housing and maintain or manage to secure an environment and, like, the proper housing and all that for their child to come home if you take their benefits. So it's stated you don't touch them until you have a decision of permanency. There was no decision of permanency what happened was I, it took me four months to find this out, going back and forth with OW and the CRA. Eventually, the two of them would tell me that they had figured out what had happened and that CAS had provided them a letter in early January and that that letter was the reason why they had stopped my child tax credit and started giving it to my ex's family. In that directive, it states that when it comes to the child tax credit, it is up to the administrator, which would be Ontario Works, to make an informed decision on who needs the child tax credit in this situation. And it was not the fucking household with multiple adults working multiple jobs. When they took this money from me, I couldn't pay my rent anymore. Okay, like when I tell you that they deliberately ruined my life to avoid giving me back my kids because I moved and I got everybody what they needed and I went through Karen telling me that the new place was fine and then she was terminated. A man named Jonathan took over for maybe a week or two. He came by my house. He told me that the house was suitable for the children. He also repeated this to my mother because she had pulled out in front of the house. Now, I'm not my mother's biggest fan, but... She's, she was there that day. So, And he told her the same thing. House looks good. Kids should come home. He would very suddenly no longer be my worker. And that was when Emma took over. Emma, same thing. Came to my house, saw the house. And this was before I went to the police, right? Um, this was in, like, end of January. Came to the house, saw the house, told me, hey, looks good. You've got everything they need. I don't see any problems. Let me go back and speak to my supervisor. It's always the goddamn supervisors. Because now, over the next few months, as we're dealing with court and stuff, I have Emma consistently telling me that I am doing everything right, that she doesn't see a problem, that she doesn't see an issue with returning my children to me, and that when she keeps, you know, bringing it up to her supervisor, that the response she's getting is just wait. And Emma started questioning her, well, what are we waiting for? And they wouldn't give her an answer. So one day, Emma does a home visit at my house, and she shows up, and she's brought me a full box of diapers and all of these little coupons for the local, like, little zoo, little rays or something in Hamilton. Like, she, they get a bunch of those, right? And she had other stuff for me as well, and she's talking to me, and I, I kind of knew when I saw her show up with all that, I'm like, great, I'm losing another worker. Like, because that's the thing, is the workers would start to side with me, and then my worker would change. Because these workers were telling me they were advocating for me. And then my worker would change and I had to start all over again. And the new workers would actually tell me that they had been presented with a story that I was like unhinged and hysterical and unstable. And 
they started to figure out that I was just a very frustrated parent in a bad situation. Um, and they'd realized that what they had been told wasn't who I was. But then as soon as they start figuring that out and advocating for me, you're gone, you're off the case file. So Emma didn't let that happen to her. Emma came to us and I actually do have recordings stashed away on memory cards of meetings with Emma, with her supervisor, with other workers. Like I recorded as much as I could. Unfortunately, I lost a lot of it when I changed countries and we're getting there. Um, but I have some of it still. And I think one of them I still have was Emma actually telling me and my family, because they showed up that day at my house to speak to her as well, telling us the whole apparently we're waiting but I don't know what we're waiting for I don't see a problem with sending these kids home I don't know what my supervisor's doing like I have that so this day with the diapers um like I said we're through court and stuff nothing's moved she's she's telling me um I'm just gonna be off for a little bit and I'll see you when I get back she quit she wanted a mental health leave and then she quit and I think I'm the reason she quit. And like, not me personally, but my case file. I think I think my case file and probably some other ones that she had to deal with. That she realized, I don't want to do this. I'm not gonna be part of this. And uh, from what I see through Google, she's got her own counseling service now. And honestly. I wish her nothing but the best with that. She was always just lovely to work with. She was like the one person that I dealt with from CAS that I don't hate, that I don't have something personal against. But just to kind of summarize what then like led me to where I am now, I went through this court thing, right? I had a lawyer, okay, that paralegal that originally was around and got me into the, uh, the new place that I did get into. Um, it was on Aberdeen. We'll just say it was Aberdeen and Queen in Hamilton. It was a pretty nice nice area, you know, half-decent property, still had some issues. Landlord wasn't the greatest, but, I mean, I'll give her a little bit of credit. She wasn't getting paid. I wouldn't be happy either. Like, and she didn't care that it wasn't my fault. And I mean, it wasn't her job to care. So, like, you know, I'm not going to go too hard on her for that one but so CAS took my money wouldn't give it back I did eventually get my welfare back but it took four months and it wasn't enough to cover my rent anyways it's like it was $1,100 my rent was like 1900 bucks so I could pay it and be able to feed my kids and visit with them I had to choose between seeing my children and paying rent and nobody should ever have to make that choice um I was just, it was problem after problem with CAS. Once they had me in court, they didn't even pretend to want to help me anymore. After a couple of months, they let the cat out of the bag and was like, oh yeah, reunification's no longer the plan. I personally don't believe reunification was ever the plan with the stuff my ex-husband has now told me his family was told. I don't believe reunification was ever the plan. I think they lied to me from the very beginning um, and that everybody but me knew that reunification wasn't the plan and that was why I was being treated the way I was and nobody was getting in trouble for it so my first lawyer um dropped me the day before court started um that lawyer was your legal services in St. Catharines Ontario I wouldn't recommend them to a fucking cockroach because of this situation and I'm going to explain what happened so we had the paralegal right um we're, we're gonna, 
we're just going to refer to him as the paralegal because he shares an initial with the stepmom. Um, so I can't refer to him that way. He recommended these guys to me. I went to see these guys, showed them what I had. They validated me. They validated that I was correct. They said they'd take on McCade's pro bono because legal aid certificate wasn't going to cut it. And actually, like, they were still going to take the legal aid certificate, but they were going to treat it like it was pro bono because, like, yeah, they were just going to help me. Well, that's what they said. And it was a paralegal and a lawyer. And one of them actually had experiences with the Canada Family or the Child and Family Services Review Board. So he had told me we're going to deal with this and then we're going to go to the review board and we're going to go after CIS because they've wronged you. Well, the day before we're supposed to go to court, I get a phone call from one of them and they tell me that they can't represent me because they just have too many local cases and they don't have the ability to come out to Hamilton. That was a lie. My landlord hired them out from under me so that she could take me to court for the house. So the paralegal, my previous paralegal was her property manager, right? He recommended these guys to me. And then after I had secured them for my matter, which was so that I could go deal with CAS, get my kids back, or at least get my money flowing again so that I could pay the landlord. And the day before, the landlord hires them out from under me. And now I have no representation. So, like, th just that was so unethical, and I, I, I just, um, that's all I'm going to say about that particular thing. Um, but literally hired them out from under me so that she could then use them to take me to landlord court, where she lost anyways. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, because even if your tenant's not paying you, you can't just not do the maintenance. Like, that's not how it works. So, um, and that's what was I was dealing with was yet another landlord that didn't want to do the fucking maintenance on their property. But this one was way less crazy than mm -hmm. the others had been. Like, it was habitable. So, throughout all that, I'm, I now go get a legal, like, my legal aid certificate. I still have it. They didn't take it. And I find a lawyer that is well known in Hamilton for child protection cases. And she used to have a really good reputation with these things, which is why I sought her out. I had actually recommended her to a couple people in the beginning, and I regret it because she didn't just hurt me. She hurt these people as well. They also, I've heard what happened in their cases, and it's terrible. But in my case, um, actually, I'm just going to drop the name. It's Amy Katz. Her office is located in downtown Hamilton. Do not hire that lawyer if you are dealing with CAS. Because what happened to me was I approached her with a legal aid certificate and I told her I had reporting. I had text message transcripts. I had text message transcripts of CAS. I had every scrap of paper CAS had given me over the last like seven years at that point. Or five years, sorry, at that point. And um, she didn't look at any of it. I brought a friend with me who was witness to a whole bunch of the stuff with CIS and the abuse. Wouldn't give her the time of day. She's sitting right beside me. Just completely ignored her. She tried to speak, cut her off. You know, tried to tell her, I have all of this evidence. And she outright refused to look at it. And never really even gave me, like, a straight answer why. Just said, it doesn't matter. Really, the documentation from CIS of this man abusing my children doesn't matter when I'm challenging the fact that they've been placed in his house, 
the fact that I have paperwork documenting that this house, the state of this home was not my responsibility, that I had still gone above and beyond my duty as a tenant and a parent to get it addressed doesn't matter. She completely screwed me because every lawyer I have spoken to since then has told me none of that is okay. You need to report her to the Upper Law Society, and we are. I'm just currently going through and seeing like what emails I have, if any, from her over the years, because this was this she she completely hung me out to dry. She did one thing for me when she was my lawyer because I eventually fired her, and that was with the reports from the hospital she challenged the court and it said mom was not present or informed for this developmental assessment they had not been around the kids for how long prior so how can they give the person doing the developmental assessment a proper background when they weren't even there like you needed mom present for this and y'all didn't tell her that's this is not okay um this report should be thrown out judge didn't care nothing was ever done with it and that was like the only time that she actually on anything fought for me and she continued to let me down as I continued to say to her like will you just look at what I have and I I went back and forth with her for months before I finally fired her um and you know then COVID happened and COVID torpedoed my court case I was in the process of getting all of this documentation together and in the process of saying, all right, I'm going to represent myself from here on out. I'm going to file a motion. Da, 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 da. I never got the motion filed because I was dealing with the house, the landlord. I had another relationship by this point that fell apart. Um, we were having issues at this time and it was because of everything. And even my partner, um, Eventually, it was easier for him to tell me that, well, you must have done something wrong. You must not be giving the whole story. Something's wrong with this. I don't believe you anymore. So, and I, I didn't hide anything from him. And I'm not hiding anything from you. I put a lock on a door. That's, that's all I did. So... I'm going back and forth with CAS. I'm not getting anywhere. You know, it's just your typical story where they're making promises and they're not holding up their end of the deals. I had issues with volunteer drivers left, right, and center. I had drivers get physical with my children. I had drivers get too handsy with my children. I had one driver I actually refused to give my kids to her and brought them inside and made CAS look for a new driver for two hours and told them if they ever sent that woman to my house again, my kid, she was not getting my kids. Um, because she was just nasty. My, my one child was crying and I don't even remember what she said to her, but it took everything in me not to hit her. I just pulled my kid back out of her truck and went inside or out of her van. I wasn't putting my kids in a car with this woman. If you're going to speak to my child like that right in front of me, what are you going to do when I'm not around? Um, and, uh, you know, nobody, nobody wanted to listen. Nobody wanted to listen to the fact that my daughter was a runner. Like, a couple of drivers did, but as a general thing, nobody wanted to hear us. Um, and my kids were coming to me telling me that dad was acting scary, grandpa's yelling, that grandpa had smacked them. And when I would go to CAS with these concerns, I would get, well, sometimes kids just say things. And one of the examples of that, this is while they were in kinship, with their grandparents, um, my kids were telling me that their grandparents had alarms on their doors at night. 
you know, like how I was having the problem with the child sneaking around and getting into the fridge and getting into the streets. My ex's family insisted to CAS that they weren't having those problems. But my ex, the stepmom, and my children all told me that they were having those problems when the kids got there. That my kids were doing the, it's 2 a.m. and I'm awake, I'm going to go dump the, try to dump the fridge. And that they had to put these motion sensor alarms on the kids' bedroom doors at night. And they took them off when CAS came around. So here I was telling CAS that these alarms were on and CAS was going by the house not finding them and I was getting labeled crazy, but the kids kept coming to me insisting, no, mom, they're there, they just take them off. And then there was something where my my um, second oldest child, she has a deathly allergy to pumpkins, of all things. Well, we found this out because she carved her first and last pumpkin when she was like four, around four years old. And because we'd also accidentally fed her pumpkin after that and she reacted. Like there was EpiPens involved, there was hospitals involved. So we confirmed with an allergist, she has anaphylaxis. We just needed to actually like formally test her. But every time she would be coming up to an appointment, she would get exposed to pumpkin. She would end up being rushed to the hospital, being given epinephrine. Now they can't test her for another six weeks. And this was just a constant cycle for us. So because this is not an allergen people think of. This is not this is a rare allergy, especially to her severity. It's a rare allergy. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you know it that one day my oldest two children would be over, like all my kids would be over, but my my daughter E is with me and tells me I needed my happy pen because that's what she called it. I said, why? I'm thinking it must have been at school. Well, grandma and grandpa gave me pumpkin. Excuse me? My oldest daughter from the other room starts screaming. We're not supposed to tell her about that. Oh, is that so? So I get on the phone with CAS after they leave. And CAS basically called my kid a liar. And I argued with them because I said, that man, their grandfather, their, their my ex-father-in-law, has been trying to label me as a Munchausen for years. Because his kids ratted him out to me that he was trying to do that behind my back. He spent over like two years claiming that my daughter's allergy I was making it up so what I have managed to gather from my children is grandpa learned I wasn't making it up when he fed my child pumpkin I'm assuming it was pumpkin pie because of the time of year it was and that's something his family always insisted on having and I was like you can't have it if my daughter's around you can't put that on the table like so they didn't believe me they tried to prove me wrong And they almost killed my kid. And it was covered up by all the adults. And I had to be told by a seven-year-old and a six-year-old at the time. And to this day, everybody still tries to tell me that it didn't happen. And I've outright said, I believe the children over you. Why would the kids lie about that? Like, Evelyn E. knows her, her EpiPen is serious. She knows it's a medical device. She is aware of how important it is. She would not tell me, oh, yeah, I just used it for fun. Like, she can't administer it to herself at the time. I'm not sure if she knows how to now. Um, So it was like, one of you guys would have had to give it to her if she's telling me she had it. So now it's like they probably have an even more vested interest in not ever letting me get back 
even partial primary custody because then I have unfettered access to the CAS and the medical records and would be able to see this incident when it occurred and be like, oh, so you did lie to me. Um, but again, this is just an example of like the kind of, because my kids would come to me with all sorts of stuff. You know, people are acting scary. People, people are yelling. I remember my oldest daughter at one point coming to me and saying, mom, I love dad. I love grandma and grandpa, but I just want to live with you and mommy Jay. I, 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 I don't want to live with them. Why can't I just live with you and mommy Jay? And I have heard that multiple times over the years and it breaks me because I don't, people like to be like, oh, make sure you give them a child appropriate response. Everybody's definition of that varies. And as we're learning, you know, kids can experience, or can uh, kids can process more than we give them credit for, right? Like, I remember dealing with CAS and then being like, oh, you got to make sure it's, like, age appropriate. And then I sit there and I'm looking at a course I'm doing now, actually, on child protection. I'm in the same course Ebony's in. It's um, Child Protection, Rights of the Child in Theory and Practice, and it's through Harvard uh, Online. It's through the uh, Harvard X program. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we're learning in this course about the Convention of the Rights of the Child from the United Nations. The, Canada is a signatory to this. Canada ratified this, and they ratified all but one optional protocol. And the one optional protocol they did not ratify is the one that would allow children and their advocates to communicate directly with the UN regarding issues in their nation that they want the UN to pay attention to. My belief is that Canada refuses to ratify this optional protocol because they know that the first people lining up to speak to the UN are going to be those of us wronged by CPS systems and the indigenous population of Canada. We're going to show up there in droves because these are two communities that share, as far as CPS goes, we share one common enemy in one particular place because obviously the issues facing the indigenous population are much more varied than that. But when we're speaking on just on child protection, um, I don't know how much you know about this, but it's like at one point, 90% of the kids in care in Canada were all indigenous. They, like, they never stopped residential schools. It just changed its face. CPS came in. CAS in Canada, but I'm saying CPS for Child Protective Services, came into play in Canada two years after, almost to the day of that, like, what they say is, like, they consider is, like, the official date of residential school closures, because I know it wasn't all of them, it was most of them, and then two years later, here comes the CAS, and we have, if we just look at the data, never mind people's personal stories, you just look at the data, and they have been targeting indigenous populations and vulnerable communities. This is not a child protection model. This is a child trafficking model, and I will die on that hill. Um, but just to go back quickly, just to bring you to where we are, I'm sorry, I know I'm getting kind of sidetracked there. Um, it's all good. So I just... Your typical crap with CAS, you know, people aren't telling the truth. There's cloak and dagger going on, you know. Oh, don't talk to that side of the family, and you, you don't talk to them either. Like <clears throat> stuff Ebony also touched on. You know, we we know these are. We've now come to learn that these are universal tactics in controlling families. This has nothing to do with the child and everything to do with controlling the narrative. So I'm trying to deal with court, and at one point. Um, I'm trying to explain to the judge, like, there is history here 
this is a dangerous situation you've placed my children and I into. I'm not even asking this court to immediately order my children home. I, I understand you want me to prove that to you. That's fine. I am asking you to order my children back into foster care because I would rather take my chances with a placement than where they are because I know what's going on where they are. And the judge's response to me was that I really shouldn't demonize the grandparents because they're doing a really great thing here. These grandparents are the same people that covered up their own son abusing their own daughter as a child sexually. I don't know if I mentioned that in the first episode. Yes, you did. did. Yes, you did. Yeah. That was where his, like, pattern started. And I've been told by his siblings and his family, they didn't do anything. CAS apparently blamed his parents for not properly educating their children and closed that file. And then his parents just ostracized him. Like, And him and his sisters have actually both told me this. This isn't him feeling bad for himself. His sisters did confirm this one. His parents never treated him the same way again, obviously. Never looked at him the same way again. And... Like his sisters told me, they're like, he didn't, he didn't get sent to therapy for that. They didn't do anything with that. They just left him to his own devices. And um, I, I don't remember whether or not I was told if they put. I think the sister that he assaulted, I think she did go to therapy for a short time. Um, but she didn't feel like her parents had done everything they they should have done in that situation either. So. They both blocked it out, like, for years. Like, that was the thing, is when this came out, because they're, they're oldest, they're, they're the oldest sister. She was younger than my husband, but, or ex-husband, but, um, she ended up telling them the repressed memories came back up. I ended up finding out about it, and, like, this was very dramatic on all sides. And, um, it just, everybody else has just shoved it under the rug, and I'm the only person that is brave enough to talk about it, and I'm the only person that is brave enough to go, no, this shit happened. And myself, his sister, the other girl that he assaulted, my children, anybody else I know that he's forced himself or tried to force himself on, every single one of us deserves a resolution or justice for that. Every single one of us deserves to have him pay for that. And instead, because he has proven to be so protected over the years, and we're getting there, you know, I'm the only one trying. And I'm not faulting any of them when I say that, to be clear. I'm not throwing any judgment or shade on any of them. This is hard. Okay, I'm remarried now, and I had to have conversations with my husband before I started more publicly speaking about this, where I warned him, this could blow back on me in a really bad way. You know, there are going to be people that think I got exactly what I deserved because I put that lock on that door. And like I told them, I need you to be prepared for that. I need you to understand that if people actually start to pay attention to me, I don't know what that's going to do to our lives. I don't know what that's going to bring into our lives, right? Um, But so basically, it was your typical crap. I wasn't getting anywhere with CAS. I was just periodically losing my fucking mind. So it was just giving them more ammo to claim I was unstable. But here's the thing. The whole time this is going on, I'm actually in mental health care. And that's important because they kept telling the court that their reasoning for not returning my children to me was because mom has not... um, adequately or or to our uh satisfaction um addressed her mental health my psychotherapist my therapist will say was repeatedly 
sorry, I got stuck on that word for a minute, <laughs> was repeatedly trying to communicate with CAS. She sent them letters. She had phone calls with my workers, with me present. And even all the way back to the beginning, because she was seeing me since like the end of 2019. Um, Cause I had to wait for her. Like I was on a waiting list for her for like a year. I'm sure you know what it's like out there. Yeah. So once I got in with her right up, right off the bat and through my care up until May of 2021, when I left Canada, she was my therapist and she repeatedly tried to tell CAS, I do not believe this mother is a danger to her children. I do not believe this mother is exhibiting anything irrational. I don't believe she's presenting as unstable. Her reaction is perfectly understandable to the circumstances you have put her in. She made calls to them as a mandated reporter based off of the information she was getting from me or from my kids through me, where she kept calling in concerns for where they had placed my children and who was living in the home with my children. And CAS just ignored her. Her and I still sometimes email each other back and forth. I actually just got an email from her the other day because I was letting her know what was going on. And she was telling me, like, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. Like, I am constantly being told by professionals that what has happened to me is wrong. That they don't understand. Because, again, yes, I put a lock on a door. Hold that against me all you want. Show me a sane person that thinks that that's worse than a pedophile. Out of the two of us, I was clearly the lesser risk. I was clearly the teachable one. But because they made a mistake and they broke the law and they endangered my children, they chose to bury me instead. And they didn't even have to do anything to do it because once I fired my lawyer... I could not get another lawyer to take me. Legal aid was willing to give me a new certificate due to the circumstances. Nobody would take it. Nobody would take on my case. Everyone that had spoke to me when it was active was telling me, you know, it sounds like you're in the right, but this is just too much work for my office. Or I, I don't feel like I'm competent enough to represent you. I heard that so many times. That's why Ebony and I have decided, like, okay, if none of you are competent, we'll become the people that are, because this is absolutely inexcusable. So just to, so basically, I'm getting told by lawyers left and right, you know, if I can't pay them full rate, they can't represent me because this would take up their entire office, all their clerks' time and resources, and they just can't do it for free. And I do understand, but also fuck you. Um, these are the lives of four kids and God knows how many other people he's affected hanging in the balance. And all anybody gives a shit about is money. And I, I only have so much understanding for that. Because it's like, this is why people don't report. This is why people don't trust you. This is why this stuff continues. Um, but so it got to the point where all these lawyers are telling me, look, you're in the right. I know you're in the right based on what you're telling me. I know CAS wronged you. I know they lied about you. I believe you. Well, eventually, you know, but they still won't help me. And eventually one of them says, I can't take on your case, but I'm going to give you some advice. And he said, you do this at your own discretion. I am not guaranteeing you an outcome. And this was very interesting. And he tells me, play dead. 
And I said, what do you mean? Because CAS is dragging stuff out at this point. Now they're trying to talk me and my uh, ex-husband to go into mediation so I don't take them to court because they didn't want all this coming out. Um, and I did agree to go to mediation with them, to be honest. And it was a mistake. But we're almost there. So all these, this lawyer tells me, play dead. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, stop going to court. And I'm like, isn't that going to hurt me? And he said, I'm not going to lie to you. It might. He's like, but if what you're telling me is true, if everything you're telling me is the truth, he says to me, CAS is going to withdraw their application when you stop showing up. If you did, in fact, do something wrong and CAS has evidence of that, they're going to push through an order with or without you present. So if you're confident that you didn't do anything wrong, stop going to court. And that's exactly what I did. And take a wild guess what happened. They withdrew. They did. After they knew they after they thought I was no longer a problem. Because well, uh, so when we came to the, the end of twenty twenty and COVID had completely fucked up my case because it was all like courts came to an absolute standstill. And I was being told at this point it had been too long. And even if I thought CAS was going to fight to keep them where they were based on stabilization, whether the environment was actually safe or not. And in the time it would take me to fight it, it just it would it would be a waste of time, I was told. So instead, what they had me do was um, that. And sure enough, they withdrew it. But while all this was going on. Well, all this stuff with CAS and trying to see my kids and my kids telling me terrible things. And, you know, at this point, the stepmom's control in control of my access and not my my former in-laws. And the stepmom and I seem to be getting along okay. And she's giving me information that I didn't expect her to give me. Like, she kind of would hop back and forth on what, whose side of the fence she was on. Right. And she would end up telling me, like, hey, everybody was brainwashing us against you. Like, his parents, CAS, his family... You know, and I now see that that's all crap. And I have most of this in writing. That's the best part. So, um, while I'm dealing with all of that, I met someone. And I wasn't looking for anyone, right? I had had a relationship um, that ended up going sour during COVID. And because of the stuff with my kids, that was the partner that was like, oh, you must be hiding something from me. I wasn't. He just went postal. Um, and so, I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like, I'm not straight. So at this point, I was just going to swear off men. Um, no offense. It's all good. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I was playing Minecraft. And it was the first time in my life I ever actually owned like a game system that wasn't a Game Boy or a secondhand Xbox that was three times behind. Um, I had got my first PlayStation. So I made a friend on online. Um, and we started playing Minecraft together. And uh, excuse me. We just really hit it off. And um, this is where people think I'm crazy. <laughs> so we're living through COVID. At the time we're in Canada, everything's a standstill, right? And um, I'm dealing with my ex. My life is in pieces. My landlord is getting ready to kick me out because I haven't paid a rent in like two years because of this situation. Like, And again, that landlord was a terrible person, but I'll still give credit where credit's due when she wasn't getting paid, and I'm sure that pissed her off, and I'm not going to falter for that. But it also was not my fault she wasn't getting paid. 
it was COVID, I couldn't go out and get a job. Like I would have, um, I tried actually more than once. I even became a sex worker at one point to try to pay the bills like online. I wasn't like, you know, out on the street cause I know that's very dangerous and no, I, uh, uh, people uh, can avoid that, avoid it. No um, judge, no judge, online. no judgment here. Yeah, judgment free like, zone. Yeah. And I don't even say it to be judgmental. It was just like, again, I say it cause people listening Oh, well, you were dealing with CAS. CAS knew I was doing sex work. They knew it was online, and they knew it wasn't affecting my parenting time, so they didn't give a shit. Um, that was, like... And I, especially when I looked at them and was like, the only reason I'm doing this is because you took my money. Hey, and listen, since you br- since you brought that up, I just want to point out. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the girl that threw the chair onto the Gardner Expressway? Who the fuck hasn't? She <laughs> may... In her first... Less than a year, she made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on oh, OnlyFans. On OnlyFans, I, I have seen girls get up on OnlyFans or women get up on OnlyFans, and they make fifty k in a month. And I'm like, what? And my issue is confidence. Like, and you know what? We can have this conversation another day. <laughs> I'm a great person to have this conversation with. You want to dive into this stuff on your podcast? I, 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 I would love to. But just to, before I derail myself too much, um, so just to get to where we are now. So I played dead because this is why I'm discussing this boy, because this is how this happened. Right. So we meet, we play on Minecraft. I'm not looking for anything. It is the last thing on my radar. I'm trying to figure out how the heck I'm going to get my kids home, right? And we just eventually realized, like, we like each other one day when we're talking to each other. And we kind of just offhandedly said it and didn't think of it again, and then we met in like October. Well, come December 2020, um, he asked me out like long distance. I know. And then I know at this point that like, he's an American and I, I know where he lives. And, and of course I'm a Canadian. So I'm a little wary of that at first. I'm like, I don't know, man. Um, but we really, really hit it off. And I'm sitting there like, I'm stuck in the house anyways, because I'm living through a plague. Um, what do I honestly have to lose? This is probably the safest way that I could get to know somebody right now. So I was like, you know what? Sure, let's give it a try. And that's when he says to me, yeah, there's one thing you need to know. What's that? I'm a soldier in the United States Army. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry, you're what? Because I was like, what? Excuse me? Like, this is new territory. So then I ended up telling him, I'm like, you need to give me a week or two to think about that because that changes things. Long story short, we ended up dating. And that ended up being the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, but everybody thinks we're crazy because within six months we were married and I was moving to the U.S. But that was also because I finally, like, so we had an original plan. We'd take the year. I would try to, like, round out court and try to work out an agreement with my ex. We were negotiating a mediation agreement. Um, and we were going to, you know, try to take it slow. And uh, life decided that was not what was happening. And all of a sudden, I'm losing my housing very suddenly. Um, and then my ex moved in a 20-minute walk of my house. And because of what had occurred in the last place with it getting broken into, I actually was not comfortable with him living this close to me. Walking distance was not okay. Um, 
So I was like, no, I, I need out. And I tried to find a room for rent up there. Like I spent a couple months looking, couldn't find a room to rent, couldn't find even a part-time job. I was stuck and I was going to wind up on the street. And at this point, um, we had actually like taken the leap of faith and gotten married because there's this thing called double proxy when you're in the armed forces. Neither one of us had to be present. We had to sign off documentation and send them in and our ideas and stuff. But yeah, we didn't have to go through all of the hassle. How about that, eh? Goddamn Minecraft. Goddamn Minecraft. Fuck plenty of fish. Minecraft. (laughs) Minecraft. I'm like, literally. You should should write the creators of the video game. I'm looking into which social media platforms they're the most active on so I can just start spamming them until they see it um, <laughs> so so we made this decision and like I said to be clear I went to my therapist about this him and I had hours long conversations about this because um, there was a lot to take into consideration here it was a different country it's a totally different lifestyle it's a totally different community I wasn't fully prepared for what I was getting into it's fine I just wasn't fully prepared. Um, So, like, we covered our bases. And like I said, I went to my therapist and I was like, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something dangerous? Is this reckless? And so she, like, went over some stuff with me and she's like, no, I think you're making a sound decision. It looks like you guys have thought this through and, you know, you had considered other options and life just kind of happened. And she's like, "That's, that's, that's okay. Like, you guys can make a decision in response to that. My issue was because of my ex and our family. So I had no confidence in making decisions like that because I had been just completely destroyed. And the other thing is, is like, I'm almost 30. He's in his early 20s. So I was a little nervous at first because I was like, oh, is this okay? Like, I'm not like, you know, the whole rub in the cradle stuff. Like, I was making sure that I was not crossing any lines. Um, And she was very supportive. She was like, no, I don't see an issue with this. You know, she'd been watching our relationship kind of blossom. She's like, you guys seem to genuinely care about each other. And she had even said to me, she's like, look at what you've already been through. Um, At least in this situation, if things go wrong, like you have resources and stuff available to you. Um, His mother had even like assured me that, you know, things go wrong. I'll help you both. Don't worry. Like, and he had told me outright, he's like, listen, he goes, if this doesn't work, he's like, all you have to do is walk into legal and ask for the divorce yourself. He's like, I'm not going to stop you. He gave me that crap in writing. We discussed getting a prenup at one point. Like, so it was just, I don't know. He came out of left field and he completely changed my life. And like, now I have like a nice little house. We have animals, we have money in the bank. Like, I, I have an adult life for the first time in my life because I spent that whole time with my ex-husband just trying to keep my head above water. And I live in a secured area. I don't, like, yeah, we still have issues within our own community, sure, but, like, I don't overly have to worry anymore. And I'm in a totally different country, so I don't have to worry about them finding me here. He's not even allowed to leave Canada because of his domestic violence conviction. But, um, you know, it's it's crazy how your life can change in a year but this thing didn't change and he has stood by me through this whole thing he like right right off the bat once I was down here and I was calling my kids and stuff and they'd ask they'd be like I, I want to see um you know your husband and he'd come over and he'd talk to them he got along great with them um so 
yeah, just to say, so they, so they ended their, they, they withdrew because I left the country, right? Once they knew I was leaving, they sat in on our mediation agreement, even though CAS loves to say, we don't get involved with custody and access, they're lying. It is another lie. Uh, it is right in my mediation paperwork that there were two CAS uh, workers present on my mediation negotiation phone call. Like, they definitely provided input and, and, you know, made their opinions known. And it's like, you're not even supposed to be here. Like, why are you here? So I agreed to this mediation agreement because my ex and his partner had been playing me. And I would find that out this past year. So it was 2021. Last year, it was May 7th. I flew down to the U.S. Um, and uh, I was on and on. Like, we were, I wanted a schedule right, for calling my kids and stuff, because CAS forced me to leave them with their dad. CAS wasn't going to let me in any way, shape, or form have them. They made me leave them with their dad. Their dad moved out of his parents into his own place. That's how he was 20 minutes away from me. And CAS wanted me to be okay with this. And they knew they were coercing me because they would, like, basically tell me I had no fucking choice and then be like, Oh, but this is your choice. We're not forcing this on you. They were absolutely forcing it on me. I was absolutely suffering from Stockholm Syndrome when I look back. I'm like, there's no way that y'all did not know exactly what you were dealing with. And you took advantage of it to get your way. And so, so he gets his mediation. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say, so how hard is it? Is there still a, a fight going on? And how hard is that? Being that you're in a different country now. Yeah. So I, um, so they withdrew their court matter with me yeah. specifically. Basically what they did was they changed it to, um, oh, well, like we're withdrawing our complaint on mom, but we want a supervision order on dad because now he's living on his own with the kids and we just want six months to make sure all's good typical shit that they do to people the thing was though is that him and his partner were about to have a baby they did not want cas involved when they had their baby right so they were um because i'm down here it is harder you can't file an urgent motion from out of the country um but i can still technically file court proceedings i would just rather not do this without a lawyer which is why i have a gofundme 250k because that's what all the lawyers my husband and i have spoken to is quoting us at because um well i'll get i'll get into that in a second just to quickly say so um so they they switched their focus to dad because i left the country and then my i was under the impression i was no longer part of this cas file so then from may to october of 2021 i am trying to work out a schedule with these two for me to have access to my kids we're trying to get them to agree to like, hey, can we have the March break? Can we have them through the summer? And they actually technically did initially agree to this. Um, you know, again, he, him and his partner were acting like it was fine. They were going to work with me. You know, nobody brought up any issues with me. But I was constantly chasing them and not getting a schedule and not getting phone calls. And I left it alone because they had just moved. Then she delivered her baby early and he was in the NICU. Then they brought him home. So I was giving them some space to bring the baby home. And then October comes. And in October, um, I was bugging the two of them. So first what happened, I think this is what set it off. E, over the phone, 
asked if she could call my husband dad, like how she has two moms. From what I was told, MC did not take kindly to this. He's he's quite a hypocrite. You know, I had to let them call stepmom mom, but if anyone's threatening dad, he goes through the goddamn ceiling. You know, everything that I, I just wanna I just wanna comment on that one thing. Everything you've yeah. told me about this guy, he's such a piece of garbage, I'm sorry. But that's one thing that I think we do agree on. I would be completely destroyed if my kids uh, called anyone else dad. I think that it's kind of one of those things where it's got to come down to individual families and their dynamics. But I'm very much someone who believes it's up to the child and adults need to learn to better manage their feelings. And that's nothing against you on no. what you just said. That's I a understand. general comment. Um, because... Yeah, of course, like, at first in those situations, especially when you're dealing with separation and blended families, yes, people are going to have certain negative reactions in the beginning. That's normal. The thing is, is that we've got to kind of work through them and find, okay, is this a boundary I can work on or is this something we need to negotiate? Like, I don't think there's necessarily a one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. But for our family, we had already had the discussion and the agreement that if we had additional partners because we split up that we would not get in the way of that and it was up to the kids and he did not hold up his end of that meanwhile myself my husband and the stepmom did so is he sorry i had just one other question it's okay it sounds like maybe he's got his shit together is he in therapy is he quit drinking none of that oh i'm sorry so i forced him to quit drinking when we were together oh uh, oh so I that's stuck him. that's stuck no, no, oh. no, no, I have been told that they started having alcohol back in their house when I wasn't around, and he drinks again. I don't know how frequently, I don't know how much, um, but there are definitely times he's messaging me late at night, and then all of a sudden his spelling goes to shit, and I'm like, he's fucking drunk, and he insists he wasn't, and we're actually going to talk about that in a second, because he might have shot himself in the foot with that, and you're going to love this, but just to quickly say, so, um, that, like, that kind of happened, and me and the stepmom talked about it privately, and we all just kind of were like, we're just going to let it go. We're just going to leave it alone. We'll deal with this down the road. Um, and then within, like, two weeks, I'm trying to figure out, hey, like, what are we doing around Halloween? I want to call them. Like, I'm, I'm a pagan. Different holidays mean more to me than it does to them. Halloween is one of them. Same as we had Springs counter to Halloween. That was yesterday. Like, these are parts of the year that, that matter to me in a way that doesn't matter to their dad. Um, and Listen, I, I have to hear I have to hear about Halloween for my kids. My special needs daughter yep. talks about Halloween once a week, every week of the year. Her and I would be great friends. <laughs> She's been... She was a witch this past year only because we were we were too late getting to the costume store. Yeah. Because previous to that, she was the last since the movie came out, she's been Elsa every year. Except oh my God, yes. except one year she was Anna. Um yeah. but her body is shaped differently because I, she's overweight i love my kid but i i can say she's overweight so she's 
12 years old. You're a parent. You're not judging. No. You're just explaining. She's, like, she, I get it. She's 12 years old, but she's got the body of maybe a, a um, I don't know. She's as big as an 18. She weighs more, I think, than my, my, my uh, eldest daughter. She looks older than she does, I guess, because the way she's built. Yeah, so they don't yeah, make okay. co- they don't make costumes for girls of that oh, size. Oh, I get what you're saying. So she's yeah, they don't she can't find costumes. So if we don't stuff. get if we don't get the costume when they first yeah. start coming out, we're screwed. You're not getting it. No. Yeah, that's the problem. Sorry, I didn't mean I to interrupt your story. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're totally fine. Um, I actually did learn from clothing stores that when they get their initial shipments in, they will only get like five. Of the big size. That's it. They don't get enough for the customers that they get. and But they'll get set fucking 300 of the tiny one. Like, and that's adults, kids, clothes, anything. Mostly women and girls. But, yeah. So what I, um, just to take this to where we are now. So, when we're going through last year, I'm trying, but I'm not pushing. Because I'm sitting here like, it'd be so easy for them just to block me and then I can't reach anybody because I'm going through the immigration process. I can't go back and forth right now. I'm that was my other question residence. I was yeah, going to ask. get permanent residency so that I can live down here with my husband. My, uh, my late brother, yeah. um, he, his first wife was American, but they got married here in Canada. And I'm like, you're stupid. You should have gotten married in, in the U.S., because they went there, and then he lived there with them until their marriage dissolved, and then he had no choice but come back here. Yep. Yep. That was why when I was able to tell immigration that we technically got married in Montana by double proxy, they were like, oh, you're smart. Because um, I got married in the United States, for all intents and purposes. I was married in the U.S. So, um, but yeah, so while I was like, you know, I'm trying to settle in now, I moved into a new country... Um, that is very different and I um, sorry my phone just went off and I'm trying to ignore it it's all good <laughs> so I uh, I was trying to get used to a new country I also went from living at like a maybe 600 feet above or 600 meters I think it was above sea level meters or feet I'd have to google it to 6,000 where I live now I was very sick I couldn't really go anywhere, like, any higher than the ground I was on without keeling over and throwing up for about four and a half months. It was pretty bad. My my elevation adjustment was not fun, um, which would make sense because, you know, I spent 28 years down on the ground. <laughs> now I was up in the clouds on this mountain. So, like, anyway, because, yeah, we, um, the Rocky Mountains are basically in my backyard. Like, that's where we are now so anyways while I'm trying to like you know sort my life out down here get my paperwork done my ex-husband knew that I could be down here for six months before I would have to come back or file for residency so what we did was we waited until the end of the six months because we wanted to see what would happen with my ex with the kids right so now we're in October and he knows that my time expires on November 6th or 7th depending on the immigration officer um so here we are in the end of october i haven't been able to get these two to give me a freaking phone call for like a week and then over uh halloween weekend because it was on weekend this year this past year i wanted to talk to my kids well i got strung along for that and i never got to speak to them 
but I did post pictures because they posted them and like I had spoken to the stepmom before I'm going to say this first where I had told her for special events especially if they were all in the picture I would be posting pictures with her like if it was okay with her of my kids with her baby because I wasn't going to pretend that their brother didn't exist I was not going to do that that child didn't do anything to me he never did anything wrong I'm not punishing him because his parents are garbage I'm not like that so, and she had told me this was fine because I told her it's just things like Halloween, you know, in their costumes and Christmas. I'll post one of them all together. Like, I wasn't plastering this kid all over my Facebook because he's not mine, right? So, October, um, through the end of October, I don't get my call and I'm bugging them and I'm bugging them. And I had also just had a conversation with the two of them midway through October saying to them, hey, we either need to go back to mediation or we need to go to court because you guys have not given me a schedule and it's been like six months now and I appreciate you've had stuff going on, but I need this done. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, no, it's fine. Let us sit down and we'll figure it out. And I had even suggested to them, how about we just make it so that I get a phone. I call the kids Saturday, Sunday, every weekend because I am, I got I was getting my work visa soon, so I told them when I have that, I want to be able to go work, and I'm going to have to work during the week. There's a two-hour time difference between us, so we were already struggling with um, scheduling because, like, if the kids were at school, you know, that two-hour time difference was really screwing us all up because, like, I would be waking up before the sun as my kids were getting ready to go to school. They would be getting home from school and then immediately like getting ready for dinner. Now that time I didn't mind. I told them I'm free. I'm here. I'm available. They never called me. They kept trying to tell me that they wanted me to call them at like um, six or seven. And it was like, dude, I have to make dinner. I have responsibilities Oops. in my house. Sorry. Like, and <laughs> I switched okay. the camera around. <laughs> I saw that. I was just like, I'm going to pretend I didn't see it. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, like, I couldn't get them to work with me. And I was, like, I didn't want to push them. I didn't want to fight with them. Because, like I said, I was looking at my husband, like, they could just block us. And then what do I do, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, November 5th, November 5th, I had been trying all week to get on the phone with the stepmom and my kids. And the day before... I was the one that didn't make the call. Like, all week it had been her. But then the day before on the 4th, I was angry. I had reached my boiling point, and I knew that I was not going to be able to make that phone call and it not end badly for everyone. So I decided to leave it alone for the day, and I would talk to her the next day when I calmed down. So I messaged her on the 5th. Now, remember, I told you they knew that I was only able to come back to Canada up until November 6th or 7th and they knew that I had not booked plane tickets so they knew I wasn't coming back I had filed my paperwork I was waiting for my approval letter that it was in and I was waiting for processing so I couldn't travel at this point and um, all of a sudden everything switched it went from you know telling me that oh yeah everything's fine and we're gonna work it out and we've just been busy to me saying to her hey I'm sorry yesterday got away from me do you have time today and the stepmom turns around and goes you don't get to pick and choose when you get to be a parent and then goes off on me for posting 
Halloween photos that included her son. And even like the way she was speaking to me, like, and my ex-husband ended up joining her. um, And they were both uh, sending me messages, basically like acting as if like they were literally making comments that I was posting him like he was mine. And I'm like, absolutely not. I have made it clear that it's your child. Every time I, I've posted him twice, both times with your permission and you're up in here acting like I didn't do that. What the hell are you doing? And then she goes on to tell me that they're not going to allow me to speak to my children, that they think they have the power not to allow me to speak to the children because the mediation agreement gives them final say on parenting decisions. And I'm like, yes, but my access is not a parenting decision that you get to make. And they didn't like that. Um, She ended up also saying that they were doing this because allegedly E had drawn something at school of me stabbing her dad. And um, it took me like three months, I think it was, before I got to school to confirm that that had even happened. Because school didn't record it, as I found out from the superintendent. They didn't put any record of this. They swept it under the rug. But my ex-husband was using it to try to cut off my access. So now, to be clear, I'm pretty sure what my daughter is remembering is one of those times that dad came at me in the kitchen while I was cooking dinner. And turned around with a knife in my hand just because it was already in my hand and told him to stay the fuck away from me. Pretty sure that's where that came from. Um, But anyways, that's just speculation. So they were using this as an excuse, saying, oh, well, because of this, we're not going to let you speak to the kids. And then she blocked me um, after claiming that she saw me chase him around with a knife once. She never saw any such thing. She was lying for whatever reason. I don't know what happened, because two weeks prior to this, she was telling me that she had given him an ultimatum and threatened to leave him with their baby because of the way he was acting. Her exact words to me were, he's getting bad again. And this was because I was asking her what was going on because the kids were telling me that daddy was acting scary. So she happened to have an opportunity where he wasn't home and she spoke to me on the phone about this. So, of course, now I'm concerned because this is his pattern. A new baby comes into play and within weeks he will start to escalate and he will continue to escalate. I've watched this pattern four times over. So when she tells me this, I'm like, that's exactly what happened with me. You need to be careful. And she told me, I already told him, I will leave him. He needs to go get some fucking therapy. Like, she was very upset with him. So then, you know, all of a sudden, she's doing a 180 and telling me that I'm this terrible person and that I've done all these things that I've never done. And she blocks me. So I message him and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you... Stop having me go through your new wife. You need to deal with me yourself because something's clearly gone wrong here. My thought was that she was probably having like PPD and like I didn't want to make it worse. Right. I didn't want to fight with her because I know what that's like. I've Mm -hmm. had it. Um, And my ex-husband then spent the next two hours screaming at me over messenger um, that I wasn't going to get to talk to our kids, that if I had wanted to see our kids, then I should have stayed up in Hamilton and been homeless on the street so that he would allow me to see them. Um, he ended up making a comment of like, you couldn't even live without your worldly possessions for a few months on the streets. You could see our kids. Now look at you. You have more than me. 
that tells me this is not actually about the children. And you're just jealous. But it was, I turned around and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, none of that matters. Um, you're really going to tell me that I should have been on the street in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And then you would have let me talk to our kids? How does that make sense? How does that make any sense? The answer and is it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Oh my God, it doesn't. And so he just kept going off and he like, he was trying to present things that he did, claiming that I did them. And I just kept calmly responding to him and laid out the facts and was like, no, we're not doing this. You're not gaslighting me. You're not putting this stuff on me. I've learned a lot in the last four years about how to handle you. And this is not going this way again. So then he blocked me and he did not speak to me from November to April, March. I think it was in March he finally messaged me, the end of March. So since October, I have been on the phone with CAS, with the police. I've emailed my former uh, therapist. I have attempted to speak to him. My husband attempted to speak to him, and this is where we're going next. So about two weeks, maybe a week or two, goes by since November 5th, and my husband and I decide to try to message my ex-husband, MC, from my husband's Facebook, because I'm blocked. And lo and behold, he won't scream and yell at my husband. He won't swear at my husband. He won't type in all caps at my husband. He's being respectful. He's being calm. He's watching his fucking mouth. And I was like, oh, he's afraid of you. Like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, he's scared of you. Like, because I, and I showed my husband, I said, look how he was talking to me versus how he speaks to you. And it was so clear. He tried to tell my husband that I was a narcissist. And my husband laughed. Like, he laughed. And he's like, I don't think he said it to him, but he said it to me. He's like, it's okay, honey. I know you possess way too much empathy for that to be true. This was something my therapist had to teach me. Because my mother tried doing this to me as well a few years ago. Tried calling me the narcissist. And the therapist I had through the CAS stuff, she ended up having the one day. Because I had a meltdown over it. She's like, you're not the narcissist. She's like, you possess empathy. You possess the ability to admit when you were wrong. She's like, you're genuine. You're sincere. Those are my first indications that you are not the abuser. And you are not a narcissist. She's like, if anyone's a narcissist in this situation, it's your family and your ex. Um, so that was funny when he tried to say that I was a nurse, like he tried to say to my, my husband, Oh, believe whatever she, whatever you want to, that she tells you a narcissist will never admit they were wrong. And I'm like, well, that's pretty funny since you've been saying, I don't remember in response to all the abuse allegations for the last six years. But anyways, so this was like the last time he spoke to us and he again, just reiterated that he was not letting me talk to the kids. He claimed that the kids' mental health professionals signed off on this. Kids didn't have any. That eventually came out. Then he tried to say that it was other professionals involved with the kids. Nobody has uh, backed him up on this, I have asked. And then he tried to say that CAS supported him cutting me off from our children. I have multiple emails from CAS stating that they never said that to him, that they never condoned that, that they have told both of us to go back to court if he wants to play these games. So... I, that's what I've been trying to do. And we've been on the phone with lawyers, and that's where we're getting quotes of, we've been told if we want our current mediation agreement enforced, 
it would be a grant. The current mediation agreement needs to be changed, so we can't just enforce it as is. So then it took the quote up to $5,000 to attempt to renegotiate the um, agreement and to try to make a bid for custody. However, that is just a start and is dependent on my ex-husband being cooperative, which leaves me with my last option, which is a full scorched earth going after everyone who was involved. My ex, his family, CAS, both police uh, stations that were involved, the courts that were involved, um, the judges that made decisions that they shouldn't have when I presented them with the evidence. So I've had lawyers tell me, you can summon every last one of them. You can sue CAS and you can sue your ex for custody, but it will take all of their law office's resources. I have been quoted at $250,000, which is why I have a GoFundMe up because they like they won't do it pro bono. They have said I will win. They have told me I can guarantee you that you will win this case if everything you have told me is the truth. Everything I've told them is the truth. Um but it's just the matter of the work that would need to be done. It's the matter of how much staff they would need. It would be that they wouldn't be able to take on another case. So now, while I've been dealing with that, I started the TikTok account months back when he did this. I started talking more about what had happened. Um, and now my hashtag has actually reached almost um, half a million people. Um, why, don't you so tell us, why don't you tell us what it is? It's justice for owl with an e on the end. It is all one word. It's literally J U S T I C E F O R O W L E. That is my hashtag on TikTok primarily. I have used it on Facebook. I have used it on Instagram. Um, but now we're in this position where he's now reached out to me, and he reached out to me because he found out through CAS that I was making waves. So now he's asking me to delay or slow down anything I started. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been telling him, you need to speak to me and give me an access schedule because he's telling me now he will. I don't believe him, though. He's not provided any evidence of this. Like, he's still now even saying, oh, I won't let you talk to the kids, but he's been messaging me for a couple of weeks. You know, on this podcast, we have a hashtag, too. It's hashtag time yeah. to push back. We push back against governments, schools, police, CPS, hospitals. Fuck it. Take them all down. I'm actually building. Once you, uh, I've started. Once you, once you start this ball and it keeps rolling, you won't be able to stop it. And, I, and you know what? Exactly. Take them all down. Everybody that has wronged you, as long as you can prove it. Then it's not slander. As long yeah. as you can prove it, it's not uh, defamation. As long as you can prove it, they need to be held accountable for their actions. I also have the hashtag, sue me, I dare you, because that's how hard I stand on my version of events. And the thing is, my version can be backed up. I used to have all of the paperwork, all the recordings, but when I came down here from Canada... I couldn't bring it with me, and I had no one I could trust to keep it safe. So, But the thing is, is most of it can be gotten, again, under the Freedom of Information Act, through the court, through CAS, through the police. The only problem is with CAS. 
they've got these really shady privacy policies where they're telling me that only the primary parent, which would be my ex-husband, has full access to the CAS files, even though I still have rights to my kids. And then here's the thing, though. If you don't grab those files when your kids are young, they're redacted anyways, but then your kids yep. out, you're being told it's your kid's information. But then your kid hits 18 and your kid's being told that they're not entitled to it either because it's the parent's file. When I was 18, I ordered my file from the Children's Aid, which I had to pay for. I heard about that. And it was heavily, heavily redacted. Um, quick story. I never yep. knew my, who my father was. And um, his name was in my file. And my mother... God bless my mother. Uh, we've 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 worked it out. My mother's passed away. We worked oh, it out. That's one hell of a way to find out, though. We were no, no, no. I found out way before she passed away. But, oh, okay. okay. Um, no, I meant in the file. Yeah, it was redacted. It was an agreement oh. between my mother and the children's aide to keep my father, because I a part of it says mother has informed us. Uh, 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 child doesn't know name and doesn't need to know and then there's a there, there's a redacted which is where his name would be yeah it's cause long story short my father was a drug dealer he was yep. a pimp and he did four years for armed robbery I can see why mom wanted to keep that a secret my mom uh, when I was four years old, I guess my father had gotten worse. I, I guess I, I, my father had access to me up until I was four years old. I don't remember him. But what happened was, uh, we were live. Do you know where Regent Park is? Have you heard of Regent Park? Uh, I have an idea. Yeah, actually, I might have been in it. So Regent Park is like uh, River Street to like uh, Parliament. And then, like, in that little area there. Anyway, my, my mom used to live there. That's where I was born. She, quote, kidnapped me. And we moved to a different part of Toronto, which is where I'm from and I still live. And uh, it, this was during the time where you could call up Rogers. or Now, it was Bell. You could call up Bell and go, this is my name and I need a phone here. And you didn't have to uh, give any... Um, uh, uh, ID or nothing like that. So my mother lived under an assumed name to hide from my father. Yeah. And I never knew him. And then, before I got a chance to meet him, he died. I'm so sorry. I, um... You know what, though? I don't know mine either. You know what? I will, I will be honest with you. I love my mother with all my heart, and... I don't get to Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback her decisions when I was a kid because it is That's it is enough. her job to take care of me, and I can only imagine the type of person that I would have turned out being raised by someone like my father. Even though I didn't get a chance to know him, what I know of him, most of it is not good. Yeah, I think I had the opposite, where the parent that was we'll just say dangerous in my case, um, kept me and wouldn't tell me, still won't tell me who my father is. Um, I only now know that the story I was told as a kid is true 
because I tested my DNA. But my mother, uh, they used to tell me that he was an Italian man, and they gave me details. And then um, uh, one day, she changed it to, oh, I don't know who he is. My family's Irish, okay? Like, my grandma came off the boat. I tested my DNA. I am 78%, 79% Irish, pure Irish. The rest is all Italian. That's my mother. That's my daddy. I know that. And she's now trying to fucking tell me and other people, oh, no, no, I did mine too, and it came out Italian. And I'm like, you wouldn't be responsible for my entire genetic profile. Give it a fucking rest. Like, so, I mean, I understand where you said the, the not um, armchair quarterbacking um, parents' decisions. And for the most part, I agree with you. Um, but in my particular case, I disagree with my mother's choice. But that's also because over the years, I think I figured out that because he tried to apparently come back when I was four and she wouldn't let him. I think she didn't want him to find out that she was abusing me. And that's the only reason she kept him away because she knew he would have taken me. Like, that's the thing is, I was not wanted by her, but it seems at some point I was wanted by him, and she just couldn't let that happen, I guess, and um, I don't speak to her anymore. And if you want to know, if you or any of my listeners want to know more about that story that I told you, uh, you can hear it. There is an episode on my podcast called Interview with Tina Salinas. Okay. So in that episode... The first half of it is her telling her stories and struggles with CPS. The second half is my story. I will check that out. Let me um, quickly footnote you the rest of this because I actually have somewhere to be. Yeah, no, I was. we were just going to wrap up. I wanted you to, to tell me again about the, uh, about the um, uh, GoFundMe and then what... What's going to happen going forward? Okay, before I do that, let me speed through this. Because okay. I didn't get to this tit yet. Okay. So remember I said there was another baby? Yes. That baby died. Okay? That baby died in December. And this is important. The one that was born in October? The baby was actually born in August, I think it was. He was born premature. Um, he was about four months old. So the story I was initially given was that the baby died of SIDS. To my knowledge, that is still what the cause of death is labeled. However, something has come out, and I only know about this because, like I said, my ex-husband reached out and contacted me. My ex-husband gave me a whole bunch of information he probably shouldn't have given me. I don't know why he told me these things. One of them was that he told me that their baby that died in December... The toxicology report came back, and that baby had cocaine in his body. Oh, my and God. So I've, spoken, so I've spoken to the police, and I have made it clear to them, these two have a drug history of cocaine that spans years. From what I've been told, the police investigation has been closed. That was the homicide investigation Ebony mentioned when she was talking about me. Now, I don't know if it was a homicide investigation or a suspicious death. I just know that I spoke to a homicide detective when I called them about it. And so they've closed that. As far as I know, nobody's been charged. CAS has closed their file about it. because So the CAS closed a file in October. Like So that was the thing. They closed the file in October, funnily enough, on his and my former anniversary date. 
um, which was October 19th. So because their CAS file was closed and because they knew I couldn't come up to the country, I think that's why they cut me off from the kids on November 5th. But then their baby died. And um, and then so I, I found out about that through the grapevine. And I kind of backed off for a couple weeks, let them grieve. And then I was back at it speaking to CAS, speaking to the police. And the thing was is I didn't suspect any anything foul with this baby, okay? I didn't. Um, and then when I found out that there was cocaine found in the baby and everybody's just let it go, and now my ex is going around telling me and other people, oh, it must have been the hospital. The, somebody at the hospital must have contaminated his blood because they waited too long to take his sample. The police informed me that when they have infant deaths like that, the samples, the body, they're guarded. That couldn't have happened. But he's going around telling everybody, oh, look, see, the hospital must have done it because I'm not charged with anything. So I'm sitting here like, I thought when somebody died, people would finally care. I've said for years, it's going to take somebody dying. It's going to take one of the kids dying, isn't it? Now, one of the children has died and nobody cares. And I literally ended up saying to CAS, so how long before it's one of mine? And are you even going to bother to call me if it happens? Like, I don't know what to do. I, I, so now I'm in this position where CAS doesn't want to hear me. The police don't want to hear me. Granted, the police have now, now because I, I kind of pushed back on them, because um, I've been trying to report historical rape abuse that he's now admitted to. Because when he messaged me talking about the baby, I got him to admit, and I have it, it's all on Facebook, to the attempted murder, to the rape history, to the pedophilia, to the sexual interference with the minor that I caught him with, to abusing our children. I got him to acknowledge everything he's done. And he even was saying, over the course of hours, it wasn't one message, it was repetitive. And he ended up saying to me, um, all I'm seeing here on the screen is my past being thrown in my face, I'm a different person, da 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 da. I don't care. I caught you with a 13-year-old girl. That should have been the end of it. And instead, I was threatened and coerced into staying with him by the very people that then stole my children by manipulating CAS. So I don't care if he ends up finding this. And I know when he does find these or he finds my TikTok, he's going to cut me off again and I'm going to have to take him to court. That's fine. I'm already taking him to court. Like, that's what I'm currently building. I'm in the process of making requests for all of the information I can get I am currently reading back through our 10 years of messenger history. So at this point, I'm either going to build the case myself and then walk it into a law office and say, I've already done all the work for you. You just have to look it over or I'm going to be representing myself. I don't know how long that's going to take. Like, even if I represent myself, I'm still going to need the GoFundMe because if I have to represent myself, I'm not going to be able to work and my husband's income can't support both of us indefinitely like i do need to start having a second income come in with us right so talk about your so, gofundme before you the have to GoFundMe, go yeah the gofundme is literally under justice for owl um it should be the only one with that name it is a picture of my four children eating ice cream uh that's on the top of it and there is a very long blurb that has more details on events that happened than what i have said on these two episodes i spent I helped my husband write it because at the time he had to put it in his name because I didn't have my work visa yet. So I couldn't accept anything. 
because I didn't have the ability to accept money in the U.S. yet. Now I do. Um, but it's under his name. The GoFundMe is under the name Zachary Butler. It's not under my name. If you could, okay. if you could send me a link to the GoFundMe, I, I will put it in the show notes. I can do that. I will send you the link because, like I said, I know it's a lot of money. People have questioned me because it's a lot of money. It is because these law offices would have to, they would not be able to take on another case. And again, if I have to represent myself, I'm still going to have to try to get expert witnesses. That costs money. That's part of why it's a 250k price tag with the lawyers, because they said we will need expert witnesses on things like domestic violence, child abuse, parental alienation, and the fact that these people don't change. They would need expert witnesses to come in and convince the court that my ex-husband will always be a danger, and that's just science. But those people get paid to give that testimony. So it's, it's a combination of paying expert witnesses, paying fees for courts and for information, and paying the legal team. That's why it's so high. I know people don't really trust me. Not to mention, while you're doing this, you're going to have to stay here. Yeah, I, I can't go back. That's the problem. And, and even right now, I can't go back. And even if I had the ability to freely travel, do you think I feel safe? This man tried to murder me twice. And while I'm dealing with him, the teenage groomer that I mentioned, he let have access to me. I have also reported him to the police. These are both people that have threatened my life in the past and have proven that they do not have any qualms with taking my life. Bring them all down. That's what I say. That's where I'm at. I, I, what am I supposed to do? If I don't do anything, if I don't speak about it, if I don't let people know that this has happened and is happening to my family and I don't speak up for my children, I am no better than every single adult that failed me. And I am no better than everyone that continues to fail them with their silence. I'm not joining that team. I will stand on this side of the line by myself if I have to. I will talk about this for the rest of my life. Like I said, I'm writing a book. Ebony and I want to open a law firm. I want to revamp. I'm actually building a rival child protection model. This is going to take me some time. I'm trying to connect with former foster youth. We're going to need to talk about this. We are absolutely going to talk about this. I need all the help I can get. I got some stuff to say. Okay. But thank you so much for coming on to the show like i said in the last episode you're strength and you're courageous and and you get to stand up and say enough is enough and now you're going to do something about it and you're going to take them all down and i can't wait to see what happens i'm so proud of you i'm so proud that you were able to rise from the ashes and and I can't wait. I like. That's kind of funny that you say that because my husband literally calls me a phoenix, and my husband's got a phoenix tattoo down his ribs. Y'all should get matching tattoos. I'm planning on it. I already told him <laughs> I want. I actually want one across my back. I've wanted it for years. So yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Cover up a crappy one I've got with a big burning bird. But thank you. I, no. I really do appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me out here, and I appreciate. Having the chance to put it out on a platform that I don't run, um, that's that's nice. And I know it's a little wordy, it's a little long to people who listen, and I appreciate those who make it through it all. Um, I really do. I appreciate it. We'll talk Thank again. You. We'll talk yes. again real soon, okay? Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you so much.